Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. The last day of February brings you episode 313 with Graham McMillan and I talking Infinite Frontier number zero, the Nick Spencer run on Amazing Spider-Man, What the Hell is a Linearverse, Magic Mike, The Brave and the Bold, Richard Dragon Kung Fu Fighter, and an extensive reappraisal of not only the Joss Whedon cut of Justice League, but the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie as well. All this and much more in a two and a half hour installment. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, hello. I'm so nervous this is going to go staticky. You know, I, we'll see. If it is, I get to blame you, because I did some testing on my end, and I think we're okay. So, Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. I, although I will say this, on Whatnot's High, that Jeff and I are talking amongst ourselves. We'll be right there. <laughs> I was so happy that when you sent me the files for Drunk last week, that it went staticky on the recording as well. Because I wasn't oh, going to think it was me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't going to think it was me, but it wasn't. Phew! Phew! Yes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to blame your connection now, but, uh, but we'll see. Well, but, but clearly, it wasn't my connection because it recorded on your computer aesthetically. Oh, I see what you're saying because I didn't hear it. But therefore, oh, Graham, boo, boo on you! I say it's you. Is what I'm saying. It's yes, all you. yes. Well, now it's not it's a, because it, I've. It's all you. It's always been you. It's a good save. <laughs> good save. <laughs> From blamey to lovey, the Graham McMillan seduction technique. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, well, we'll see. I, I, as to to quote the kids, by which I mean Vanilla Ice. Um, I, I ditched the zero and got with the hero and got your headset, your specific headset, ordered and and set up today. And so my hope is this will this will this will work better than ever. Pow, bam. We can only hope. Also, thanks for going with the kids, aka Vanilla Ice. Uh you know, I don't think enough people are really admitting that Vanilla Ice a a you know, what, two, three hit wonder from literally three decades ago is one of the kids. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh when you think kids you clearly think of god what's his name rob van dyke or something who's now probably 48 years old okay well now i have to look up vanilla ice Uh, oh it's even better robert matthew van winkle i was so close i was so close Uh, he was born in 1967 yeah. Oh shit! He's a year younger than me. Yes, he's fifty-three years old. Yeah, the kids. That's what I'm saying, Graham. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> thankfully, Wikipedia also tells me that it, uh, among the associated acts for him, insane clown posse. I had no idea, but also something called insane poetry. So, so now we know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, he had he had lots of of releases. I, I again, I had no idea. Band members of Vanilla Ice, DJ Dirty Chopsticks. <laughs> cool That's me. Keith. Surely not the Cool Keith. Crazy Clown, both of those with a K, of course. Yeah. And Maniac. Maniac's job in the band, Dancer. There we go. Uh, his earlier DJs have included Earthquake, 
DJ don't play. <laughs> D Shay. That's D line Shay. Clint Barlow. Fairly sure that's Hawkeye. Uh, he he was drums uh, earlier. So a dancer just called Squirrel. Mm. That's great. A dancer just called Juice as well. Hmm. So there you go. Uh, he has apparently put out uh, no less than seven albums. Oh yeah. Hooked to the extreme, mind blowing n apostrophe of course, hard to swallow. A definition I think of Vanilla Ice's entire career, but definitely the fact that he's had a continued career after Ice Ice Baby. Bipolar. Platinum Underground and WTF, which stands for, I shit you not, Wisdom, Tenacity, and Focus. Yeah! Uh, also, he has an extensive movie career, which started with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, colon, The Secret, Secret of the of Ooze. Secret of the Ooze, yeah. And then Cool as Ice, both of those were the same year. Mm-hmm. Then, oddly enough, a nine-year gap mm-hmm. before he started in, again, this is on Wikipedia, and so I'm assuming it's real, Da Hip Hop Witch. <laughs> D.A. Hip Hop Witch, followed by The New Guy, The Helix Loaded, The Bros, Big Money Rustlers, and The Vanilla Ice Project, of which he was a host, apparently. That's My Boy, a TV series called <laughs> Vanilla Ice Goes Amish. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, the Ridiculous boy. Six, Brother versus Brother, Dancing with the Stars. He was a contestant during season 23, apparently. Something called Sandy Wexler, and then The Wrong Missy, which uh, just came out last year, and he plays himself in it. Mm. There you go. I I mean, we, we've come so far, and we've only just been talking for, what, five minutes? <laughs> we have been. We have. And I have to say, I... I felt my soul leaving my body as usually doesn't happen until about an hour 53. So I think we're, I think we're out of the game. I think we've got, we can just move into closing comments now and wrap exactly. this up. Whether we should not set this episode up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, Graham McMillan, I yeah, feel, hi. you know, it's been a while since we've done one of these, or so it feels like, I think, between... Well, I mean, we did a draw last week, but yeah. it's been a while since we've done a Wait What? That's right. You know, and, and you know what's really weird? It's been a while since we've done a Wait What, and yet, oddly, I'm not sure what has happened in that time. Mm, I gotta admit, I'm I'm... I'm enjoying new Graham McMillan Unplugged, where you're completely baffled. Well, uh, what what can no, we do? No, as much as anything, I mean, like, I've be still been reading stuff, but again, I've been reading stuff that's coming out in the future. <laughs> so part of me's like, I'm not sure, you know, I, I, like, I've, I've, <laughs> I've read this coming the future or the past. I've not been reading anything contemporary. Right, exactly. I'm like I'm like this is this is the worst case scenario, Graham McMillan. Like the one who like no longer is able to let us know what's happening in the news, but can still lord it over us about comics that are happening hey, in the future. I, I read can barely Frontier issue zero this morning, Jeff. See, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> so what'd you think? What did what did you think uh, of it, Infinite Frontier number zero? I'm going to be very vague because it's not out yet. As mm-hmm. this comes out, it comes out this Tuesday. Um, I liked it. Mm-hmm. It is very much one of those comics where, you know, different creative teams take on like five pages each to to preview their own comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also very much a comic which is doing or trying to do a lot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think I made any uh, 
you know, mystery of the fact that I thought death metal ended extremely vaguely. Mm-hmm. And Infinite Frontier kind of has the problem of like, well, it's it's got to set everything up. Mm-hmm. You know, because death metal ends with, oh yeah, yeah, no, now everyone's got, now there's only one history, and and yeah, everyone like yeah, it's it's they've reset time, no, and and that the multiverse is different, and and you know we've got we've got a new we've got a new world called the Elseworlds, and there's another world, and we don't know what that is at all, and oh yeah, okay, so bye, and Infinite Frontier kind of has to get that into a workable, you know, a workable state for another mm-hmm. better way. And it, I, it does it. I think pretty successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, again, you have to remember that you're not buying a story; you're buying a preview of like seven stories. Mm-hmm. And if you think of it in those terms, I think it succeeds. If you're going in looking for a, a again, like one story, mm-hmm. you're shit out of luck. Mm-hmm. You, you just are. Mm-hmm. There's a framing sequence, and there's a framing sequence that runs all the way through, and there is, in theory, a through line for the comic. But it's a through line for the comic where, again, I'm not going to spoil it, but like you know, it's essentially a character being like, oh, I wonder what Superman's up to these days. Oh, that's what Superman's up to? I wonder what Batman's up to these days. <laughs> what, what is the Justice League up to? You know? Uh, and and there is uh, there is a beginning, middle, and end to that characters um thread in the issue mm-hmm. but saying that even that through line is by nature of the comic's purpose a preview for you know story in tbd mm-hmm. and so i like i did i liked it i enjoyed it i enjoyed it's uh attitudes or or the the meditext of it perhaps is a better way of putting it mm. but part of that meditext is that 10 years after the new 52 we kind of still have comics that are apologizing for the new 52 mm-hmm. you know like you kind of still have comics that are like okay i know we basically like junked all the continuity mm-hmm. but we're done junking all the continuity now mm-hmm uh, so, so uh, you know, everything's getting back to the way you remember it. And that's such a weird thing mm-hmm. because it's 10 years after the New 52. If this is resetting to what everyone remembers, why isn't there an entire audience who only remembers the New 52? You know? Like, mm-hmm. how can we... What does it say that the, the, the prevalent nostalgia is for comics that are more than a decade old you know the status quo that that is quote-unquote real is something that's more than a decade old mm-hmm. what does that say about how dc comics is considering the audience mm-hmm. uh, how considering the turnover of its audience that feels uh i don't know an unanswered question shall we say because part of it is of course these comics are always shaped by the, the nostalgia of their creators mm-hmm and it only makes sense that these creators have nostalgia for something that is more than 10 years old. 10 years old, almost all of these people were working at either Marvel or DC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but, it, you know, I, it works for me, but I'm very aware that it works for me because what they're doing and what they're saying and the things they're nostalgic for are things that I'm nostalgic for. Or seeing, and again, this is all subtext, this is not text, 
but seeing a sort of yeah, we've re- been really uh, leaning in- into the well, serious comics must be sad. Why can't comics be fun? Mm-hmm. Or it's again like you're play- you're singing my song. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm going to be into that. Mm-hmm. But for a comic that is, it calls Infinite Frontier. For a comic that makes a point of saying, we have limited, we have purposefully been limiting what the DC universe is. Like textually, we've been purposefully limiting it. It's 52 Earths, mm-hmm. and now we're not. Now that limit is gone. The DC universe can be everything, and in fact, is everything. The DC Universe is all of these stories, and they do interrelate, they do contradict, they do present multiple, if not infinite, opportunities. Mm -hmm. One of the failings of Infinite Frontier issue zero is that so much of it does feel like nostalgia or feel like resetting a status quo as opposed to doing something brand new with these characters mm-hmm. you know like that that's and that's you know being optimistic that's to come mm-hmm. there are definitely moments in here with various characters where they are you know setting up things that will be different i i again i don't want to spoil things but there are specific big name properties where they're going this is this is where we are, but this is where we're going, and where we're going is significantly different. Mm, mm-hmm. You know? But it's still, by setting it in the, sure, but, you know, here's Oa, and it's the Green Lanterns. Here's Paradise Island, and it's Wonder Woman. And here's, uh, you know, Gotham City, and Gotham City's under a Joker attack or whatever. There is an element of nostalgia there still. There is an element of, of, hey, old fans, this is this is the you do recognize this. This mm-hmm. is safe for you now. And I, I would like a little bit less of that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Well, so I want to ask you because I know that several episodes ago, by which I mean like maybe a couple of years back or a year or so, I think we had talked about. The DC Universe reboots, was it every 10 years, every 20 years? Every, like, it's every five? Like, I mean, on a, well, we, the DC line reboots every five years. It is, it's every five years. 2006 was post-infant crisis one years later. 2011 was New 52. 2016 was Rebirth. 2021 is Infinite Frontier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, it's a line-wide relaunch. It's not always a universe reboot. Right. Right. The, re- re- the universe reboots, though, happen, is it every 15 I mean, years, 20 years, 10 years? I forget. Well, I mean, like, I feel like... I, at this point, it's getting shorter. It's 10 years, because mm-hmm. New 52 was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then between that, I think the... I mean, you could... Oh, when was the last proper reboot? It was probably around 16, 17 years, because for zero hour. Right, for zero hour, right? And then, you know, which was more between, or less, I want to say, I want to say somewhere between 16 to 20 years after Crisis on Infinite Earth. It was literally 10. Was it? Oh, shit. Yeah. It was 84 it was to 94 10. or something like that? 85 yeah. to 95? It, it, okay. Yeah, it was, like, it was like 85 to 95 or something. Okay. Because one of the things was Zero Hour was, in, in theory, an anniversary project for, for Crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm, I see. 
So I guess what I want to ask you is, since this is not necessarily a new move on DC's dance card, um, does it feel different to you in the sense of, as opposed to Crisis or the New 52, certainly were like, things are different now, is is the part of why Infinite Frontiers kind of eh? is because of it's more of a things are different now in a way that makes them more than like the way they used to be. You, well, if I you mean, see what I'm saying, think, I think infinite frontier as an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, infinite frontier as a line is much less eh than something definitely than new 52, but like honestly, than, than probably DC rebirth as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if only because there are some really interesting creative choices going on in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also ones that are not so great, but there, you know, mm-hmm. there, there, uh, there are a bunch of things they're doing that I think are really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to see, for example, less reliance on the Batman books, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Was it was it Hibbs that pointed out like a quarter of DC's line now is Batman books? Yeah, I think that sounds right. It's it's something insane like that. Like it did. It, it's such a high percentage, or is it half? No, I didn't. I didn't. Maybe I mean maybe maybe it got as high as a third. I would. Well, I don't know. After all this recent contraction of the last couple of months, it wouldn't surprise me if it's temporary. Well, part half, part of but... the problem is, um, an Infinite Frontier issue zero makes a point of this because at the end it's like the Infinite Frontier continues in and it lists books, and mm-hmm. you see that like launching new books going forward as well. Mm-hmm. So like the ones in April and May are not the only new books they're launching. Mm-hmm. Um. But, but I don't think it is necessarily eh. But at the same time, there's something about this issue that I again I like. I do like mm-hmm. that. It's not that it's eh, but it's that a I've been reading for far too long. But even if I hadn't been reading for far too long, even if I'd only been reading comics for ten years, this is the third line mine relaunch I've seen. Mm-hmm. Like, things mm-hmm. are happening every five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's... I was going to say that's different from what Marvel does. And it's, it is and it isn't. Marvel's structure... And to be fair, they've actually gotten better about this in recent years. But Marvel's structure used to be that basically every year you would get a relaunch. Right. You'd get a raft of lines. But it was not... DC tends to relaunch its things as big events. Like, it's a line-wide relaunch. And it comes with this new attitude. Well, you know, Marvels were mostly like it's you know it's September, therefore it's time for all new all new Marvel now, right? And that we've got a new Iron Man comic, and here's you know a new Spider Man run, still written by the same guy, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas DC's is like okay, so there's new writers in all the books, mm-hmm. and we're you know this is this is the big one. <laughs> But right. there are only so many times you can say this is a big one before you're like, okay, so I guess we're we're at the start of another five year cycle. Right. There are multiple things in Infinite Frontier that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I I genuinely can't say for spoiling it. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, that's a move I wanted to see. That's a move I want to see. This is like you're making the right choices. Mm-hmm. But I I've been through this so many times. That I know that basically you get like two years of of them having the the, the confidence of their convictions, mm-hmm. where they're like, "Oh, but what if we just turn around?" You know, 
Like, mm-hmm. think about what Rebirth was like two years down the line. Think about New 52 was like two years down the line. Well, so, I mean, so New 52, whole different sort of can of worms. But for me, one of the things that I think is, I keep wanting to put a special asterisk, is Rebirth was kind of unusual in that, in a way, it almost seemed closer to the Marvel-style reboot, um, you know, in that they weren't they weren't resetting the universe right like yeah you know, except it's... they weirdly were they were trying to have their cake and eat it exactly exactly like there was there were significant you know things are changing vibes mm-hmm. and even the bits where things were not like you know universe-wide changing mm-hmm. they were making significant changes mm-hmm well, uh, yes, but they were, weren't they sort of, and I could be wrong, weren't they of the changes of either A, you know, up until now we've had this, now we're going to see this grow in a, in a different direction, or A, everything yes, was I... like this, and then suddenly everything's like that, and now you have to figure out why, right? It, it was kind of both, right? New, mm-hmm. Like, Rebirth had an entirely different Superman because they killed off the New 52 Superman the month before. Right. You know, you had Tom King's Batman, which on the one hand is not a reboot, on the other hand kind of really is. Well, I mean, it depends wasn't, on... It wasn't a continuity reboot, but in mm-hmm. terms of attitude, it was a very different title. Well, but you but also that's... had. Yeah. I mean, sorry. But, you, I, oh, I, no, but, I, but at the same time, you also had things like... Um, Green Arrow, I think, was a significant twist mm-hmm. for it. Being, and a very clear, we want to go back to the old school Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. No, all of a sudden, he had the goatee. All of a sudden, they were mm-hmm. bringing in all the trappings of the character pre-New 52. Mm-hmm. Like, out of nowhere, they're like, and now he's in a relationship with Black Canary. Right. And you're like, what? When? <laughs> huh? <laughs> you know, and, and so you had books which didn't really make much of a switch. Mm-hmm. And you had books which really did. Like Aquaman didn't. Aquaman didn't even change writers. Mm-hmm. Dan Abnett was writing the book before Rebirth and after Rebirth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? But then you had books like Green Arrow, where there was a there was a significant shift. Mm-hmm. So they kind of had their cake and eating it. I should mm-hmm. say, Infinite Frontier issue zero reads like a Marvel like one shot for Marvel now or something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think very purposely by design. I think that's very, very, very much a purposeful choice. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're looking at those books and being like, that's a good way to do a sampler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, the shock for me was how short some of the previews felt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there's bits where some of them feel long. And again, I want to say, but I also don't want to say because I don't want to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know... Some of the the excerpts, some of the previews feel, I mean, uh, the Batman one feels twice the length of the Justice League one. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's actually true, but it definitely feels that way. Mm. So, but it it feels like a Marvel, it feels like Infinite Frontier is in many ways, despite the, the fact that it is following up on, on, on a re- on like a, a universal reboot, mm-hmm. which is what Death Metal ends in, it feels much more like a Marvel relaunch. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, I you know I um hmm 
so I want to ask you, because I feel like earlier in this week, by which I mean because my sense of time is still completely fragmented, could have been a month ago, I feel like I read like a portion of an interview with Dan Jurgens about the quote-unquote linear verse. Did you? Yes. Okay, so that's nothing to do with Infinite Frontier. Uh, oh, well, that's good, because they make it sound like it's one of the quote-unquote cornerstones of what DC is doing, so I'm glad it's okay, not Okay, so, so the linear verse comes up from Generations, the Generations miniseries. Like, mm-hmm. Generations was a two-issue miniseries, which, I mean, just for the fact that it's called Generations, mm-hmm. feels like they're doing something with the ideas that they're preparing for last year's Generation series, which was going to be setting up the 5G Mm-hmm. You know, the so-called 5G reboot. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, like, it's 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 in a framework that I think is very, it's nothing new, but also it feels weirdly almost classically DC. Like, I can think of multiple DC stories that have done this, which is a team of disparate characters from across time are brought together to fight a villain. Mm-hmm. Right? So you've got Booster Gold, you've got Commandy, you've got the Batman from 1939. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Steel from like the reign of the Superman era, mm-hmm. like, you know, a bunch of different characters, Starfire from the new teen Titans era. Mm-hmm. And they come together and it's generations is the weirdest fucking series because nothing could feel more like filler than this comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's multiple artists throughout both issues. Mm-hmm. Each issue has maybe seven art teams. Wow. Uh, for to illustrate different time periods, so it's not mm-hmm. as schizophrenic as it sounds. Right. Uh, they also have three writers in each issue. Hmm. Um, but the villain of all things is Dominus, the time-traveling villain from the late 1990s Superman, which honestly I don't think anyone remembered apart from Dan Jurgens. <laughs> I was about to say, good no, old for Dan real, Jurgens. Like, when was the last time you thought of the villain behind Superman Eternal? Yeah, right. I, the when was the last time anyone right. thought about that storyline even? Mm-hmm. Like, that ran in 99, 98? Now, just because I'm a Rube Graham, if you don't mind clarifying, these two issues that you mentioned, I assume, does that mean they were published as part of the Future State? No, thing? no, they were not. No, they're they were entirely not. separate from that. They're okay. entirely separate from And that. when were they published? Just this? The last two months. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. They're published. They're published in the last two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were called Generations Shattered and Generations Forged. Mm-hmm. They're they're not even called Generations One and Two. It's Generations Shattered Issue One, mm-hmm. and Generations Forged Issue One. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it's it's the it like I said, it's the weirdest thing. But it ends with so the villain obviously gets gets defeated, mm-hmm. uh, and they they set everyone back in the proper time. Mm-hmm. And it ends with uh, them taking Batman back to 1939 mm-hmm. and going, you come from the linear verse where people age differently mm-hmm. and you young for long, a really long time. Mm-hmm. And there's like background artwork which suggests that the linear verse is the universe that we're reading all the time. Mm-hmm. But when I read it initially, I was like, so this is like a pocket universe, right? This is mm-hmm. this is this is not the mainstream DC universe. Mm-hmm. If only because we've had multiple like Batman Year One stories, mm-hmm. Batman Year One, Batman Zero Year, you know, just multiple things where the Batman of nineteen thirty nine has not shown up. Mm-hmm. 
And so I was like, okay, so so like this this is this is some sort of weird thing. The, oh, the other thing is in Generations Forged, it's suggested that that Batman comes from a different universe of the other characters. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or implied, I should say. It's not suggested. It's implied. I see. But then I was reading this Dan Jurgens interview, and he pretty much is like, "No, it's it, that's what that's what we're doing. Like mm-hmm. this is the universe from now on." So honestly, I'm confused as shit. Well, you know, I mean, and I who read the comic. Okay, well, I'm a. I'm relieved because I feel like that gives a lot of context that that Jurgens interview didn't. Uh, B. I mean, I kind of think that there's something potentially kind of ballsy and perfect to, you know, this whole multiverse, omniverse, glogoverse concept of not of basically talking about your timeline as if it is the main timeline, which, of course, everyone in their own timeline would think that way. You know what I mean? So, like. The fact that Dan Jurgens isn't like, yeah, this is a pocket universe. This isn't the main DC universe, but is rather saying like, yeah, this is the main universe. This is this, you know, which again, when you, for me reading that article, I was like, this seems hugely kind of poorly thought out for what was going to be like the main line. So the other, I hope I think it's, it's not going to be that, but yes. Yeah, the other reason I think it's not the main line is, again, it happens in th- this Generations miniseries, which I think a lot of people completely skipped because it was never played sure. up as right. this is really fucking important. And also, it's coming out at the same time as Future State. It's utterly disconnected from Future State. Mm-hmm. Like, you think if it was the like if it was this is the future, this is a hint of the future, you right. would have at least one of the Future State characters in there. Yeah, you know. Well, right, right, or but or no. even the branding. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but also, there's, you know, you'd think if the linear verse were a thing, you would have at least had a hint of it at the end of Death Metal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, file under. I guess we'll wait and see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that that any such, you know, well, this is this is it. This is fucking it now. Mm-hmm might be a bit overblown but maybe not because again dan jargon certainly seems to think so right right well which would be great i do kind of love the idea that he's like "Uh," you know that this is this is more or less how they were going to piece together the 5g stuff or whatever and he's like i'm still treating it like it's the main dc project like it's okay if the editors don't but god damn it which, you know, again, in a weird way, more power to him. I'm deeply relieved that it's not. But uh... Yeah, but again, maybe it is. Sure. Because one of the things in Death Metal, and, you know, again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's definitely picked up on in, in Infinite Frontier, is there are things about this new incarnation of the DC Universe slash multiverse slash mm-hmm. omniverse mm-hmm. that they don't know yet. Mm-hmm. That are not not just that, like the creators don't know, but are set up as clear mysteries that will be revealed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like death metal is very clear. There are two worlds out there that we don't quite understand. One of them is called the Else World. Right. Right. Um, and we know from uh, DC did a presentation at Comics Pro where they they talked about the the titles, the projects that they have coming up. Mm-hmm. Did you see that news or not? I, I did not know. Okay, so so DC did the Comics Pro presentations. Comics Pro was this past week. Mm-hmm. And they named projects upcoming. 
they didn't give any information about them. They just said, here are titles. Mm-hmm. Right? And one of them is Elseworld. Mm-hmm. So Elseworlds is clearly a thing. It's not just uh, a placeholder for, well, we, we, you know, we'll get to this one day. Like, it's clearly intended to be a thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you read Infinite Frontier, you realize that the fact that there are two worlds is not a mistake either. Mm. It's not Morrison's multiversity where he's like, there are seven mystery worlds, and that's never picked up on, mm-hmm. right? Like, that there are two worlds is very intentional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it, you know, I it's but again, none of that seems to tie in with generations shattered, generations forged, but maybe it does down the line. Mm-hmm. I as again, as someone who read the comic, when I read the comic, <laughs> I basically thought this was a like a, it was a pocket universe, or it was a separate thing it was another part of this expanded timeline mm-hmm. you know if 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 the multiverse is no longer 52 worlds but is infinite i thought that the linear verse was basically another world that is sure. not the one that all the main comics are right right maybe i'm wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hmm. so i should uh, i should list the other projects just because mm. i brought it up yes deathstroke incorporated mm-hmm. uh, a sequel to the harley quinn animated series and I should say, all of these are publishing projects. This isn't uh, multimedia. Mm. Uh, an 80th anniversary Wonder Woman project. Mm. Elseworld. Something with the working title of DC Vampires. Mm-hmm. Something called Robin and Batman. Not Batman and Robin. Robin and Batman. Mm-hmm. Something called Joker colon a puzzle box. Mm-hmm. Something called The Legend of Batman. Crush and Lobo. Which presumably spilling out, spinning out of the Teen Titans run that just finished. Hmm. Uh, Nubia and the Amazons, mm-hmm. and something called DC Middle Ages. Hmm. Those, those are the titles, and they they then released a press release going, "Here's the list of titles. We're not telling you anything about them." Great. So, oh. you know, there you go. Hmm. Thank you, Graham. Incredibly edifying, and and to the extent that something wrapped in so much uh, mystery and um, opaque uh, revelation can be. But uh, yeah, that's still good. By contrast, I is there anything happening on the Marvel side of things? Like, I'm so not paying attention. I, I've gotten a, a metric shit ton of um, Marvel PR in the last, like, two weeks. <laughs> um, no, really. They have been doing, like, two or three... PR emails a day recently. Wow. Um, the miniseries Wolverine Black, White, and Blood, which is their, you know, not very well hidden version of Black, White, and Red, the, mm-hmm. the Harlequin series, uh, is being followed by Carnage Black, White, and Blood, and then Deadpool Black, White, and Blood. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Uh, Black, Black Cat is going to be the character who gets the Infinity Gauntlet because, sure? Right. Um, let's see, there's some Black Knight covers by Stephanie Hans. Uh, Ultraman is going to have Kaiju in it. Fantastic Four is starting a storyline called The Bride of Doom. Uh, oh, Reptile, the, let's be perfectly honest, utterly forgotten character from Avengers Academy is getting brought back to be given his own ongoing series. Wow. And, you know, what is 
genuinely a, a fascinating um, publishing decision. Right. Uh, Def Jam uh, is teaming up with Marvel for a Black Panther series. Hmm. Uh, let's see what else. The, they're doing Predator covers ahead right. of the Predator series. They're bringing back... Uh, they're doing a Shang-Chi series. This is a sequel to the current Shang-Chi series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kingpin's master plan for the Marvel Universe revealed in giant Size Spider-Man colon King's Ransom. Uh, there's an X-Corp series, but we've seen that. Uh, yeah, like, so there's been a, a bunch of, for want of a better way of putting it, small mm-hmm. things. Um, but they're all fine. Like the, the the big the big event I think is is Heroes Reborn, right, right. You know which which is spitting out of of uh, your favorite, the the Jason Aaron Avengers run. Oh yes, great yes. <laughs> it's replacing it. Right, right. Hmm. Yes, but again, well, that's that's like a a, black, a Green Lantern Black Stars thing, right? Mm-hmm, Where mm-hmm. you know when they are done with the universe altering storyline, everything will go back to normal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, they're, but they're doing like a bunch of Heroes Reborn titles. Hmm. So that's good, I guess. That's good, I guess. And. Let's pivot to the exciting world of multimedia. Um, there was uh, the announcement about Ta-Nehisi Coates and J.J. Abrams uh, doing a Superman movie together, right? I, DC's had an, an interesting week of announcements, haven't they? Mm-hmm. You saw mm-hmm. there's a there's a Blue Beetle movie as well. Oh, I did miss. I missed that. No, I did not see that. Yeah, they're doing a Blue Beetle movie of Jaime Reyes. Oh, that's excellent. Like, like the director's been named... I can't remember who it is. Hang on. Uh, I'm searching all things Twitter to see who the Blue Beetle director is. <laughs> uh, Angel Manuel Soto. Hmm. I, I I honestly don't know who that is. But, but yeah, he's been named as the director for it. Um, and there was... God, there was another DC announcement earlier this week as well. I can't remember. And that's, you know, completely separate from all the Zack Snyder Spider... And not Zack Snyder Spider-Man. Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League. <laughs> yes. Zack Snyder Spider-Man. That's what everyone wants. Yes, indeed. Yeah, the Justice League thing is uh, is is rolling it's driving forward. You it's driving you mad. I'm I've got to be honest. I rewatched the Joss Whedon Spider, uh, Justice League movie. Why did I keep wanting to Spider-Man? Yeah, why I did you keep to say that? I don't know. I rewatched the, the Zack Snyder Justice League movie uh, this weekend. Mm-hmm. And honestly, just because I was like, I kind of want to see know the differences when I see. Also, I read that vulture piece about the the about Snyder and Whedon and the the and Justice League mm. that that made me honestly made me really want to revisit, it, especially the unnamed Warner Brothers executives comments. Oh. Did you see? Did you see that article or not? I, you know, it's funny. I thought I was. I thought it was Vanity Fair, not Vulture. So oh, it was. Maybe... Oh, it was. It totally was Vanity Fair. You're right. Oh, I, okay. I, I, good. I, good. Good. Yeah. yeah. In that case, yeah. I did no, see you... it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the executive being like, "We knew the Joss Whedon cut was terrible." Yeah. And then like specifically calling out two scenes that we didn't. I didn't mean like, what the fuck do they add to it? Yeah. Um, I've got to be honest. The, the thing I noticed more than anything this time was I could not stop seeing all the ways in which they've clearly like digitally manipulated all the colors mm. 
Hmm. Like I, 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 I was distracted by it the entire time. Hmm. That, that how the whole film, honestly, visually looks like Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow now. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I'm now curious question mark about how the Snyder cut's going to look in comparison. Because let's face it, Snyder's no no coward when it comes to digitally manipulating his images either. Oh, but for sure. Mm-hmm. Some of the CGI in the in the Whedon Justice League right. uh, is is so shockingly subpar mm. in a way that becomes and this might just be me. I feel like bad CGI is much more noticeable on a small screen. Yeah, I that, think that, I, I, I see that's true. I think that's true. Uh, well, you know what I think it, it is interesting is I um I'm tempted to say that it depends. Like there's a I think most bad cgi occasionally uh looks ter- really noticeably poor on the small screen sometimes you'll see it the other way around where it looks really bad on a movie screen and then you see see it again on your tv and you're like oh that that's okay yeah that that, that didn't really annoy me you know so i kind of feel but i feel like for the most part yeah and i'm trying to think did i can't imagine. I, I only saw Justice League. I'm like, I didn't go see it in the theaters. I can't. No, I think I only saw it like on when it came to HBO, and I was like, holy shit, this movie's boring. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to. I'd, oh, anyway, all of which is to see say, uh, yeah, it says a lot about that movie if you spend a lot of time thinking about the color palettes. So, um. You know. Oh no! It's it's so much more of a mess yeah. than I remembered. Mm-hmm. It's so much more of a mess than I remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that I remember when I saw it the first time, I was like, "No, this like there's a lot here to to really dig into and enjoy." And now I'm watching, it, I'm like, "No, there's fucking not. Like, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot here. There there's a lot here. What what's? I'll okay. I'll finish the thought I was just about to have okay. after I've said this. Um. It's so messy and it's so – you can not only see the joins, mm-hmm. the joins become one of the most compelling things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, honestly, the, the noticing scenes where they are cutting between the reshoots and the original shoots. And you can tell because you, you see the CGI on, on Henry Cavill's chin. mm you know, I really was bad at spotting that, uh, I have to say. What always, I think I might have mentioned when I watched it, what struck me was um, it was really, like, Affleck was the one where I could always tell when it was, like, the original and the reshoots. Because the reshoots, I swear to God, he'd just gotten out of, you know, having his face plump surgery or something, but it he was called oh, yeah, back yeah, before yeah. it fully oh, receded. Yeah, but, like... But they put it in like in the middle of scenes, yeah. right? And it's it's hilarious noticing that shit now. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that like I, again, I just didn't notice it before. Mm-hmm. But watching it again, I was like, oh wait, like this is this is literally a different conversation, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Where they completely change things, which is uh, which is interesting. I mean, that's the thing. I can't imagine. Like, part of me is like, sure, I'm gonna watch. I'm going to watch the Snyder cut because, you know, I already have the service. Why not? 
Um, and of course, we can talk about it. But part of me is oh, like, but also like, are you not just like curious as shit? I mean, like genuinely, are you not just genuinely curious to see what a film that is, you know, twice as long as the one that was released, but right. also from all reports, has an entirely different plot mm-hmm. and may only have like an hour of footage in common with the one that was released. Well, which like, is just yeah. really curious about that. I mean, I'm sort of semi-curious about it. Sure, I'm curious, but I can't really say that I am. Not uh, interest. I'm, yeah, I'm like not. I'm not. I'm sure as hell not optimistic, because I think. Hmm, how do I put it? I think what would have helped me was would might have been there were a lot of people who talked about the director's cut of Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice, which was something like an hour longer, as being much better than the theatrical release. Like a lot more stuff seemed to make sense and come together and there was just less things seeming to happen out of nowhere. Um, That being said, I don't think that there, like the things that I think I'll be curious to see how many of the, the action set pieces are really that different different. or that new. And, and part of me is like, admittedly it's hard when you're in a movie that you really can't care much about, but, but the stuff that I sort of saw and I liked that I thought was kind of fun or well done. I feel like I've already seen it, you know what I mean? Whereas, you know, one of the things that, that really, sort of stuck out for me this time around was mm-hmm. how bad all the set pieces were. Well, see, and that's it. I, I, like, like, I, 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 it's so weird. I'm not even sure bad is the right way of putting it. How yeah. absolutely inexplicable some of the decisions are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, genuinely how strange some of the choices that film makes are. Uh, do you have examples? The, the two quote-unquote climactic action set pieces mm-hmm. one of the things that Whedon makes a point of doing in his Avengers films is and to the point where like by the time, by the time you finish Age of Ultron it almost feels like a parody of itself just two films in mm-hmm. is you have the climactic moment where all of the heroes are in the one place and you get the pan shot where all of them are fighting something that's off camera Right, you get mm-hmm. hero shot of all being like we are, like you know, I am fighting, I am heroic, I am fighting, mm-hmm. and Justice League makes a point of like keeping everyone really separated, mm-hmm. and to the point where they do interact, to the point where there is teamwork. It's teamwork that is essentially you drop this, I'll hand it back to you, or someone threw you across the room, I'll throw you back. Mm-hmm. Like for a movie that is in theory all of these superheroes work together and save the day. Mm-hmm. The amount of actual working together is minimal. Mm. Like it feels like it's missing the actual climactic set piece where the heroes come together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I am very curious if the Snyder cut is going to feature, is going to do the same thing that the Whedon cut does, which is more or less keep Superman out of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, they bring it back to life halfway through. Yes, halfway through. And yeah. then 
he basically fucks off for another half hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he returns and just like magically knows where the rest of the team is mm-hmm. and just appears at the right time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so it's such an odd decision. Mm-hmm. Superman is is really incidental to Justice League as it was released in theaters. Right. Uh, for all that, you know, everyone talks about him while he's dead as like, yes. oh, hope is dead. Hope. Hope is gone. This is a world without hope. Hope has died. Oh, oh, what are we... Oh, no, everyone's frowning. It's because hope is dead. If only there was hope. What if we use the mother box to bring back hope? Oh, hope, hope is back. But hope is bad at us. Oh, hope... No, hope is going to kill us all. Oh, hope killed us. Do you understand? Hope killed us. I hope you understand the metaphor. Hope has killed us. No! Hope has seen Lois Lane. Everything's fine. And then... Like, Superman's just fucking gone for half an hour. Mm. And then comes back and, for all intents purposes, does nothing other than also punch the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? I, and maybe this is me putting f- far more faith in Zack Snyder's plans than he deserves based on, you know, open brackets, every Zack Snyder product uh, project ever, close brackets. Mm-hmm. I can only think that there's more to that in the Snyder Cut, if only because it's twice as long. Sure, sure. You know, because it's, because otherwise it's 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 nuts. And also I think there's more of it in the Snyder Cut because especially Batman vs. Superman is so fucking heavy-handed with this shit. Mm-hmm. Again, this is the film where, you know, Snyder's like no, I, I just want to make these, these heroes seem human like the rest of us. Oh, by the way, here's a Jesus shot. Mm-hmm. you know um, so I can only think that there's probably more because as it stands in Justice League Superman is entirely incidental like mm-hmm. the one thing he accomplishes that no one else accomplishes is he helps Cyborg separate the mother boxes mm. that's it mm-hmm. that's genuinely it mm. because the only other things he does is he punches Steppenwolf just like Wonder Woman does and he runs fast like the Flash mm-hmm like, he does nothing unique. Mm-hmm. And yet the film still hilariously ends with, Now hope is returned. Hope mm-hmm. is back. Look, it's Superman. He's flying into the air because hope's back. You know, it's, it's, it's a film that desperately is like, if we tell you Superman is important, maybe you'll believe it. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know? I kind of feel like that... Well, you think we're just going to get, like, another three hours of that instead of that? Well, maybe. I mean, I think I think that there is a good chance that what we are going to see is more and different material for the incidental characters, like Cyborg, for I, example. I, well, I mean, we're getting a whole dark side plot. Yeah, that was and, inside from, from like we're literally getting a, a, essentially a second film mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because well, we're getting dark. Side. I mean, we're getting dark side, but I we'll, we'll we will. Although that said, sure we'll I don't see. know if you saw Snyder, Snyder gave an interview today where he was like, "This was meant to set up two other films." Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if we're literally going to get like a dark side cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, we might. We might, you know, I mean, like we're like everything we've seen in the trailers is going to be like the last five minutes of the film, where Darkseid comes on and is like, "Hmm, guess I've got to go and invade Earth myself." 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, I which sort of makes sense. It sort of makes sense to me that there that there would be an element of that because in my mind it's either that or Steppenwolf, you know, was like just they decided to reskin Darkseid, you know, into Steppenwolf on there. But you know what I mean? Like there's just there's or Although I could be wrong, it could be that there was so much, there was going to be essentially that last hour was going to be the League versus Darkseid himself, and so much of that was supposed to be CGI'd. But I mean, I think, I think, so I think, I think there's, my theory is there's a lot of cyborg stuff that was cut that is going to be restored. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think from I would assume, although I could be wrong, that the um, Flash time paradox appearance in Batman versus Superman, isn't it? It's yeah, it's probably going to be, get re redone. I would, they've definitely said that like there's an entire Flash subplot that's coming back in. Yeah, uh, uh, right. You which, see the trailer because right. you see the him saying saving Iris in the trailer. Exactly. So there's the whole romance with him and Iris that's coming back. Like, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if some of that stuff gets filled out. I always thought that the sequence where Aquaman meets Mera and then they fight Steppenwolf or whatever seemed really kind of um, shit, even by... <laughs> for, for Snyder, at least, at least by sort of the Snyder standards of things, like for for whatever you think, and honestly, my thinking is is that, um, you know, it's nice to know that Zack Snyder treasures his issues of Miracle Man as much as I used to, but like at least the Superman versus the League fight had some snap to it. You know what I mean, like. That was, I thought, a pretty strong set piece where I was like, this, I, and who knows, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I'm like, this all feels like Snyder. This all feels like Snyder stuff in a way that seems, um, A, interesting, and B, interesting and, and working from a template of, you know, Miracle Man comics, sort of the way that I felt like the end of Man of Steel did for that, for that matter. So, yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious. I'm curious where all the Superman stuff goes, honestly, mm-hmm. because I suspect we're going to see a lot more of Superman being confused slash like going insane. Yeah. But I also think we're going to see more of Superman in recovery from that. Because again, in the the version that was released in theaters, he basically sees Lois and is fine. Yes. Yeah, and I don't think that it's going to be that easy. I think the other thing that would make sense to me is is that Justice League was supposed to be the the finale, the closing part of the Superman trilogy for Snyder. Yeah, like the Superman origin, right? Mm-hmm. Where where he he comes out as the Superman people know. Right, exactly. And so I think that there's going to be a whole transition from dark and i think this is something that snyder might have talked about back when he was talking up his cut back when it was still a what would have been kind of thing um talking about the superman of darker colors becoming lighter hued colors like post-resurrection in in justice league 
So by the end of it, you have the Superman who really is the Superman that we quote unquote know who has grown and changed from the sort of conflicted, alienated outsider from the first film. Right. Yeah. 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 So I, it wouldn't surprise me if that means a I think there's quite possibly a lot of footage that that might have ended up on the floor that was shot with Cavill and presumably Amy Adams. And um, well, again, know. like there there is going to be a four hour cut being released, right. right? So, and again, it, it we know that a significant chunk of what's in the the Whedon thing seems to be Whedon stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, so, I mean, what do you mean by significant? I mean, I think he did the... He did, he did... I mean, uh, clearly that shit opening scene with Batman, which not only yes. was bad, but was, you know, he apparently shot as a comedy and then tested bad, and then they made them rescore it and slow it down so it seemed serious, which was even worse. Um, but like, but all the Russian family stuff. The Russian family shit, yeah. Which is was... actually like a chunk of stuff in that mm-hmm. final climactic sequence. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. Not like that. Like What's funny is I remember when that watching the film for the first time, mm-hmm. thinking like, "What is this?" Yeah, <laughs> like the Russian right. family stuff always seemed like to come from a separate film. Yes, like it does not work at all. Even when you see uh, the Flash run them, run them to freedom, run yeah. them to safety, rather. Right. Like it always felt like it came from a different film, and it's kind of funny to be like oh yeah so i guess everyone knew that didn't work and they just kept it in well i mean it was i mean we didn't shot it and they're like i mean like you said i think they were like eh. but you know they they'd already these were you can't i don't think they were willing to reshoot after reshoot after reshoot you know what i mean and i think we yeah, also guess, like, you, you literally cut that out and it would make no difference well, you could literally just cut that out and it make no difference. Well, I, I mean, on the one hand, I think that you are, you know, uh, by and large, right? I mean, you watch the movie, so I, I would think so. But I definitely think that in the sense of when they watched, you know, sat down and watched Whedon's footage, sorry, watched Snyder's footage and looked at the script and his animatronics and everything, they were like, okay, where what is what's the problem what is missing yeah and i think that there was the idea of these superheroes don't feel very connected to the people around them you know they were like anything other than themselves yes and so i think I think actually some of the video footage of superman at the very beginning with the kids talking to him and stuff um I assume that was also Whedon, although I could be yes. wrong. Yes, again, I can tell the no, that, again, stuff. that's that's clear. That's clear because you can see the the bad yeah. CGI in his chin. Yeah, so the CGI chin stuff. So I, for me, I'm like, I felt like they wanted to do, uh, a, a, the Justice League have it more connected to the world, and I think they also wanted sort of a lighter, brighter tone. So I think there was a lot of that stuff that, that, you know, was put in there. And so I think that, you know, I think they were like, Hey, how can you do stuff that reconnects it? And also 
you know, save us money, you know, not spend too much oh, yeah. money. No, no, no. It's you, like, you, okay, you isolated you Russian family. see why it's there. Yeah, exactly. You can't see 100% how it's yeah. there. It's just that it so it doesn't work. Yeah, it and really feels is horrible. disconnected mm-hmm. that I do think you can just cut it out and you've changed nothing about the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, I, you know, uh, that's, that's, I... I assume that's true. I mean, there's some other stuff from what Ray Fisher talked about. That sequence where Wonder Woman is on top of Flash, you know, like that sequence must have been Whedon, of course, because we find out that Gal Gadot refused to to do it um, or didn't want to do it. And so he just put in her stunt double. What's the context for that scene? I don't even remember. Uh, it is, it's literally in the climactic fight. No, it's not the climactic fight. It's the first fight with Steppenwolf mm-hmm. where the flash is running around and he trips and lands on Wonder Woman. Mm. Oh, right. Cause like, it's that's the whole, it. like the that's team it. hasn't come together as a team kind yeah. of thing. I yes. see. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, again, it's, it's a joke that, uh, it's a joke that lands very poorly, in large part because it's a shitty joke. Right. But you, I, it's again tonally, it's such a messy film. Mm-hmm. As as I think has always been clear, and I think a lot of it was people being like, "Well, you know, but Whedon inherited the film, blah blah blah." But you go back and look at it again and you're like it doesn't matter you could still take over someone else's film and not have it be the complete mess that this is oh agreed agreed i i i I absolutely 100 percent agree with you i think there were all kinds of things going on i think someone else had pointed out that you know whedon had been attached to a batgirl movie with jeff johns that he was then which is how which is how she got into which is how he got into um justice league Right. So, I mean, I think there's a certain level of pipeline. Of course, he did that Wonder Woman treatment. I mean, he's kind of been around mm-hmm. there. Um, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the one thing I wanted to say, and I'll say it very quickly because we're almost at one minute one, uh, one hour yeah. one, is the, you may or may not remember that I really like Green Lantern when I first saw it like a decade ago. And then it <laughs> revisit it and no and then i went back to revisit it. i was like this is a shit show i can't believe i ever liked it right i have thanks to hbo max rewatched it again mm-hmm. and i found that i like it more again okay you are buzzing and also you you have brain parasites no okay so <laughs> i i watched Green lantern and liked it at the time and then i rewatched it and i hated it and then i rewatched it like just a few weeks ago because it's on hbo max right and i liked it again but oh, thank God! But here's the thing: mm-hmm. I liked it in the same way that I've realized that I like the shitty Fantastic Four movies from about 15 years ago as well. Mm-hmm. Which is to say, they're not good, but they succeed on their own terms, and their own terms are kind of like like the eight year old can take them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like they are kind of shit, but they're shit in such a way that they are. Um, like uh, enjoyably camp for for entirely undemanding audiences. Well, so and, and I'm saying this in part because Justice League wouldn't be right. Sure. Justice League, Justice League is just an unsuccessful film on every every level, mm-hmm. and I can say that because eight year olds was like, "What are you watching?" And I was like, "Justice League," and he watched it for like 
two minutes at a time and then be like, no, and just mm-hmm. walk away. Right, right. Right? He'd be mm-hmm. super curious because they'll be like, oh, why is he – who's that running fast? It's Flash. Okay. And then he'd be like, nah, I'm bored. Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, something like Green Lantern is, again, not good, but good enough. And good enough in like a really low bar sense. Like a very good <sighs> It's good enough in the same way that like the Fox Fantastic Four films, which again are not good, but are somehow good in a shitty way. Okay, so now th- this may this may be just me showing my ass as a Marvel fanboy, but I I can see your point and generally agree with the Marvel Fantastic Four movies more the first one than the second one, but either of them are are second one's better. What's that? I'd argue the second one's actually better. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Tell me why. Or more or not. It, just, I mean. it uh it has less narrative weight to carry mm-hmm. and so kind of gets to the fun earlier. Hmm. Okay. Um but the thing for me about Green Lantern that I think is tough is I would be inclined to agree with you if it were not for the fact that I think that Peter Sarsgaard is character as Hector Hammond, uh, whatever Hector Hammond's name is. You know, oh, he, he, Hector, doesn't he become like possessed by Parallax? Yeah. Oh, right. And then there's Parallax. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he starts off as Hector Hammond, whoever. I, Hector Hammond must have been called something other than Hector no. Hammond. Mastermind? No, he's, no, he's, he's always, always been called Hector Hammond, yeah. In the comics? Wow. Yeah. That is... Oof. Anyway, so he's Hector Hammond. He gets to be Hector Hammond, and then and then there's the Parallax stuff. And I just think that, that, that for me, Peter Sarsgaard... And Parallax uh, and and Hector Hammond are just a huge mistake for that film. Like everything else, you could maybe sort of more or less carry it off. And I I also think that um, Parallax suffering from the whole like you know like the director of Green Lantern walking into the CGI store and asking to see the list of CGI menaces and the fact that amorphous <laughs> fog is like the yes, lowest yes, it, one. It is, yes, it is yeah. 100% like an After Effects. You know, it came with the, the software package. <laughs> totally, totally. So, I mean... They so spent I, all the budget on, on uh, Mark Strong's yeah. <laughs> like prosthetic. That's where it all went. Which and I mean, Mark Strong is is great. If they had if they had tr- somehow like doubled down on what they set up and more or less just went mostly all Space Night and then had Sinestro and how Fallout and the end is the fight between the two of them. I think maybe like you said in a. <clears throat> in its own terms, it works kind of thing, then I would be inclined to sort of agree with you. But I feel that there is, a, to me, a, a really bad joining together of two different movies, which is 
the Hal, Carol, and Hector story, and then the Hal getting his training in space and introducing the Green Lantern mythos. It's oh, kind of I, like I I I know I, I disagree. I think okay. those two were meant to stand in contrast. I think the problem is that they went into it going, "We've got a trilogy." And so the right. actual the villain you want to see who is Sinestro doesn't turn bad until the post-credit sequence. The pr- the problem is that you're stuck with a villain you don't really want to see. I mean, I mean that's part of the problem. I mean, the other part is I don't want to hear him. Boy, man, Peter Sarsgaard, his little shrieking, whining, sniveling thing. Oof, that was such an uncomfortable performance. I mean, good on him, but oof. But yeah, no, I just... Mm, I'm sorry, Graham. I, I see your point, but no. It's pretty much like you're saying that... This is a perfectly good, you know, version of Batman 66. And you sit down and watch it, and it's Batman 66, except instead of Cesar Romero as the Joker, it's Jared Leto as the Joker. You know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> well, just... Like that, that sounds interesting, too. Um, <laughs> it's, funny you say Batman, it's funny you say Batman 66, because I did have this moment of, like, it's like Batman 66 if they didn't try and make it camp. Because mm-hmm. both Fantastic Four, by which I say, when I'm talking about Fantastic Four, I should say, I mean the the ones with with Chris Evans. I don't yes. mean the one with Michael Jordan. No, of course. I'm not talking about the most recent one. I'm talking about the two, like Fantastic Four and then Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Those are the films I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, those two films and Green Lantern both feel unintentionally camp and interesting to me because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I mean, I think I, I, I mean, for me, I remember that the Fantastic Four seemed to have an element of, you know, smash mouth montaged hijinks that, I mean, <laughs> you're like, I'm not okay. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm sort of like, I, I, the, the, to me, I'm like, even back then, Graham, that was that was knowing camp like or i don't know i just i i um i guess i just see things differently I, it's a shame i came so close to watching the second ghost rider movie which i've never seen because somebody on twitter was like you know which is the better ghost rider movie and every the most consistent answer was they're both shit but the second one's a more entertaining film and I was like, oh, well, that'd be, that's what I'd want to see. I should really check that out. But but I didn't, and I feel like, therefore, we could, I could have something to say, contribute to the, you know, is it camp, is it shit, is it enjoyable, is it, you know, does it work that, on its that, own terms? Kind clearly, of that's your homework. It, it must be. I bet you're right. Yeah, which makes sense. I will do that, and... I just don't make me watch Green Lantern again. I watched part of it on through HBO and I had to turn it off because it was just, it's just, it's just not good. I mean, you know, it's just, oh, Graham, no. Now, did you see the Deadpool movies? Just out of curiosity, he asks. Uh, the answer is yes and no. Interesting. Uh, by which I mean, I have been present for the Deadpool movies, but I wasn't paying attention to them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like it's a movie playing in the background that I was like, eh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
right. To the point where I have, because they're on shit, Hulu, they're on something uh-huh. right now, um, mm-hmm. where I've been like, I should just like actually try and watch them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm unemployed. <laughs> what else have I got to do? I should Absolutely. Try, you know? Yeah. Uh, and yet, at the same time, I haven't brought myself to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have watched what what random oh you know what random bullshit I've watched this week both Magic Mike movies but I haven't watched Deadpool. Oh well, I am. I personally think that if you you know I made the right choice. I'll just say that. Yes, right now. If, if you're ranking superhero movies, I think Magic Mike is right up there among the best. Um, I don't remember if I saw the second. I feel if I did, Magic I spaced Mike, oh, out. Magic for Mike it. XXL is great. Uh-huh. Is in large part because Magic Mike is, for want of a better way of putting it, a film. And Magic Mike XXL is the cast just wants to hang out together and mm-hmm. get some of their other friends involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just to say there's a story to Magic Mike and there really isn't Magic Mike XXL. Yeah, but right. you're more than okay with it. Talk about, again, talk about a camp film. That film leans into its campness. Oh, yeah. So much. Like, mm-hmm. so much in a way that is genuinely a joy. Yeah. Like, it is, it, it's, it, it's, it's not a better film, and yet it's a, it's a more fun film, and it's a film that I enjoyed watching more. I see. The second one, as opposed to the first. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, maybe I should give it a try. I remember, yeah, I spaced out. I felt like there certainly wasn't enough of Channing Tatum dancing, so... Like, I oh, thought that was yes. Okay. Spare. Watch the second one. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because, not joking, <laughs> Chloe and I are watching it with our mouths on the floor mm-hmm. for pretty much half of it. Just being like, holy shit, the dance routines in this film. Mm, okay. There, there are two, two in particular, mm-hmm. uh, where you're like, not only Channing Tatum can dance, but Channing Tatum is athletic as shit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's really doing shit that is really impressive. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, no, absolutely. I, 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 like, I, I genuinely loved both Magic Mike films a lot, much more than I expected to. Mm. Uh, but one of the takeaways was, honestly, Channing Tatum was a really fucking good dancer. Yeah, right? No, seriously, seriously. I remember, when, of course, when... It was like he was doing the – it was announced he was doing Magic Mike with Steven Soderbergh and everybody was like, with Channing Tatum? Because he was kind of a joke in the industry um, before this was – you know, between Magic Mike and 21 Jump Street, which came out relatively close together. No, he's – he he is. He, he really can kind of do it all. It's sort of a shame that we haven't seen him around recently. Yeah, what is he doing these days? That was actually what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I mean, of course, he was he was a, he had a, an amazing musical number in Hail Caesar, which yeah, um, yeah, he but, he was in Lego Movie Two, a Superman. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he basically hasn't been in anything right since Kingsman: The Golden Circle in 2017. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, 2017. I mean, that's. That's a now, lifetime I, ago. For... I may be misremembering. Mm-hmm. I might be misremembering. But I have the strangest feeling he's actually been purposely lying low because he's there's some controversy about him. Is there? Oh. Huh. Yeah. I could, could I, I, again, I might be misremembering. Hmm. 
<laughs> you've got him confused with Chris Pratt again. <laughs> uh, huh. Okay. Any any other random shit that you've watched? I'm sure there is. Anything else you can talk about? Random ass uh, movie wise. Oh god, I'm I'm trying to think what we've been watching. Um I told I, when you and I talked last week when we weren't recording, I talked about like binging it's a sin, which hopefully you've checked out since then. I have not. I have not. We watched the we finally us being the behind the times couple that we are, we we powered through Ted Lasso, which was excellent. And then we watched uh, the little things that because it's leaving and oh like, yeah 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 tomorrow yeah. It's gone. or whatever it's gone I think yeah I think it's gone oh right. is it okay so yeah we knew it was like right down to the wire that's because so. Tom and Jerry showed up now oh thank God honestly I have to say that Tom and Jerry uh, the movie is boy the little things was was rough I mean yeah it was that was a that was kind of a tough film because it doesn't. Ugh. I'm like, I know I had all sorts of lucid thoughts. I mean, honestly, I I was shocked that it was like a movie where, I mean, Jared Leto was both wrong, but in, <laughs> in, a, in the right way. Like, I don't know, you know, like, you know, you've got Denzel Washington and um, uh, the Mr. Roboto guy whose name I always screw up. Uh. Oh, I, I Remy Malik, right? Remy Malik, thank you, Remy Malik, uh, and they're both quite good and and lead and good in um, I don't know how to to put it like really excellently. They're both playing characters that are super dialed down, right? And and so they're doing really like. Uh, most they're doing so much acting with just their eyes and their lips for the most part. And then you get Jared Leto, who is just like, Hey, look at me. I'm crazy, man. You know? And he's like, I've got a crazy walk. I've got, I've got prosthetic, you know, belly. And I mean, he's so absolutely kind of, um, you know, Jared Leto. So yeah, but somehow it worked. Like it's not Jared Leto oh, and the Joker. I thought. I thought it was a much better form of Jared Leto ness than I've seen. Like even yeah, I would say it's where it's, does it's it much... fall on the Jared Leto scale of like um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Uh, well, see, I think I, I to me above that, I think that I think Jared Leto and Blade Runner twenty forty nine was, you know, was like. I mean, if you if you put the Jared Leto scale as basically the you know the same as the pain scale, where it's like ten is excruciating and one is like not noticeable, like I would put Jared Leto's Blade Runner twenty forty nine as like a three. You know, he's fine, but he's not. He's also not. He's how do I put it? He's He's the least interesting thing in the movie, but for a change, it's not because he's Jared Leto. You know what I mean? Like, in this particular instant, Blade Runner 2049, it's that character was just slop, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, and so, so I, whereas I think, I mean, the little things is essentially 
True Detective Season 5 or 4, whatever they would be on next, as a movie, you know, as a two-hour film. Uh, and and Leto is... Um, he's super... He's like every caricature of a, of a method actor in it, but he's also... Um, it also works. It also works because he's playing somebody that is... Um, is supposed to rub you the wrong way at every level. And so somehow it really, it, it just, it's, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. I mean, in that sense, you could take Peter Sarsgaard, his portrayal of Hector Hammond and pop it into the little things and it would fit perfectly. If you see what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So those are the things I am very much looking forward to having my life destroyed by uh what's it called as time goes by it's not oh years and years no 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 or years it's, a and... sin? it's a sin thank you it's yeah. a sin jesus christ right. why I, why is it's a sin such a weirdly generic title i cannot i don't know you're clearly it's... not a patch up boys fan oh god is that why oh that must be why cuz i have to say a, you're right, Graham, I'm not. And B, out of all the shit that rubbed me the wrong way from Pet Shop Boys, I think it's a sin. Oh, that movie. That song. Ugh. Blah. That, that's, what it's named, that's what the show's named after. Oh, God. To the point where, like, in the final episode, one of the characters plays It's a Sin. No! Okay, yeah. well, that's... All right, I'm gonna... All right, well, this will be great. I'll let you know when I'm sufficient, sufficiently anesthetized. Graham, what about comics? We should talk about comics, not comic news, but what have we read? I feel like we always do this where it's like... Well, it's fair. I did talk about Infinite Frontier for half an hour, which is which is a comic that I read. Yeah, uh, but you you know, but you can't really talk about it. I mean, you talked I, about it, problem, but... That's problem, right? Yeah, but, right. I'm, I'm curious, did you read the Milestone book? No. Did it come okay, out this so, week? So, Wait, the, the Milestone yes. announcements, you mean? Or no, no, the book. Milestone Returns came out uh, on Friday. Yesterday? Yeah. Huh. No, I didn't. Did only digitally. Yeah. Oh, okay. I should go check that out. Um, it's coming out in print in May. Why is there such a gap? I don't fucking know. I, um, I Milestone assume... Returns is an issue zero. And it's mm-hmm. the preview for the relaunch. I see. Uh, and it's it's by, I mean, a chunk of people. Uh, oh, Reginald Hodland, uh, mm-hmm. Chris Cross, Dennis Cowan. Mm-hmm. Me, um, the, the, oh God, I can't remember the new, the new static artist's name. But like, it, it's basically the relaunch and it's the recasting of mm-hmm. Milestone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, do you remember the original origin of Milestone or not? The, the, the Big Bang, as they called it? Uh, no. No. So, so the setup for Milestone was the city of Dakota. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, I mean, for want of a better way of putting it, like there, there was a, there was a rumble. Uh-huh. Two gangs get up to have a fight, and it was, they were gassed by the police. Mm-hmm. Oh right, and, yes. Right. And the gas was experimental, and the gas ends up giving them all superpowers. Right. Right. And in the new version. That's not the case anymore. It's a Black Lives Matter protest that gets cast. Mm-hmm. Oh, Which is an interesting choice. And mm-hmm. I think I like it. But I'm also... I, I don't know, to be perfectly honest. Like, right. like I genuinely am. Like, I, I don't know how... 
I feel about that. Mm-hmm. Um, because it feels oddly um, exploitative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it? But it oh, also okay. it also makes sense uh, because that's it's explicitly in this book the origin for static. Mm-hmm. You know the, the the origin of of Virgil and Virgil being at the Big Bang as was was always a stretch, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he was you know for want of a better way of putting it the good kid, right? And his yeah. reasons yeah. being there was basically kind of accidental, but also kind of a stretch. Right. So that that was nice. Uh, it also the, in the the new continuity, the reboot, is the 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 inciting incident for for Curtis becoming hardware mm-hmm. because it was his weapons that are used to to oh see that's attack. very clever as well yeah right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so that's what what turns him against it mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a nice start it's a nice zero issue it there's there's things that I miss. Uh, I feel that the new icon is less interesting than the old one. Mm. But in large part, it's because he doesn't have space to be anything else. Mm-hmm. He only really appears for like four pages. Mm-hmm. And four pages were in Rocket is the point of view character, which is true of the icon series way back when. Right. But icon still had more space to be more contradictory, more uh, unexpected. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not the case here. So it's 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 an interesting start. It's it's a uh, a very good looking start. You know, it Cowan inked by Sinkavich is always something that I want to see. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, let me at that. That'd be amazing. Um, but but part of me is like, well, we'll see what the what the other books are like. Mm-hmm. We'll see what the books are like when they start. Something that's really interesting about that is. So the story ends, and then it's got three pages of, for the first three shows, so first three books: Static Season One, Icon and Rocket Season One, and Hardware Season One. Right. And on each page, it says available digitally and on DC Universe Infinite. Oh my! In a okay. month, so that I guess they're launching simultaneously, which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Especially because this this uh, Milestone Returns book, which is called Milestone Returns: The Infinite Edition. Mm-hmm. Is on DC Universe Infinite. Oh, it's on. It is. It's not in the. It's, it's not. on Comicsology. It's not, it, yeah, it's oh, on Comicsology. It's not oh, on DC wow. Universe Infinite right now, which oh, feels wow. odd, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially because this book came out originally when uh, when was DC Fandom like last year? Mm-hmm. This book was originally issued then for that weekend and then disappeared. Wow! Really? Good lord. What the hell's going on with ugh, DC and Milestone? Jesus, that's a mess. Huh. Well, um, I look forward to checking it out. I have to say I'm more uh, interested about it than I have to say that I am about Infinite Frontier. I, I'm, I am behind on my uh, DC Universe Infinite uh, reread, but I'm at the point yeah. where it's like, I've read the first trade of hardware and icon in the first three or maybe four issues of static. And I, I like them all a lot. And yeah. um, it's also very interesting and, and kind of a relief to hear that they're changing a little bit because um, there's some, there's some weird stuff uh, in, in the, I guess nineties, 
part of it is sort of the 90s, I suppose. But also, I guess, I'm like, oh, as as a white guy who does not pay much attention, like, black culture itself has, has done so many um, interesting things and is in a very different place than it was at in... Um, I think when these milestone, it, the milestone books came out and also I think who the creators were when they created those books, like for, for lack of a better term, uh, between hardware and icon and, and static shock, they all feel kind of Republican for lack of a better term. You know what I mean? Like well, they're... I, icon, icon purposefully, right? Oh, absolutely. No, like exactly. That, yeah. joke the gimmick yes that's the gimmick which actually is very clever and interesting but i i guess what i'm saying is is that the, and and part of it is and i think this is because i feel like there were some tweets out there where people were saying like it doesn't feel like the blood uh the milestone universe without blood syndicate you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. at least from what i can tell there's a certain amount of I don't know. I guess I guess there was just it there's such a there's such there's such a, a conservative viewpoint running through the milestone books that I've read so far that I'll be curious to see how that manifests or not in in Blood Syndicate. So um, uh something that's really interesting as well as you know think of the books are relaunching Icon Hardware and Static. Mm-hmm. Uh Again, like that seemed interesting to me, and also for that matter, Blood Syndicate isn't on DC Universe yet. Mm-hmm. Blood Syndicate was maybe the second book to actually be published, mm-hmm. uh, and I I had this feeling of, are they, you know, for want of a better way of putting it, like hiding Blood Syndicate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are are they nervous about the fact that it was a it was a book about a gang? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the end of the Milestone Returns issue is basically Holocaust being like, okay, we're coming to take over Dakota. So I'm wondering if the second wave of Milestone launches is going to have a rebooted Blood Syndicate in there. Mm-hmm. I, I would think so. I would hope so. But yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really would hope so because I think that's that's something that... It's something that the Milestone line needs. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily think that Static is is Republican. I, you know, Icon, again, purposefully is, right? Mm-hmm. I, I Static is not so much conservative, you know, large or small C, mm-hmm. as much as it is nostalgic. You know, I, I think I think Static is, is purposefully like we're – this is Spider-Man, you know? No, no, absolutely. No, he is Spider-Man. Uh, I guess I, – I don't know how to put it. Um... There... Hard, hard, hardware is a very interesting book, and I, right. I, I, you can definitely make a case for hardware, yeah. um, because hardware is such hardware is such a curious book, and and if you've read the first trades, you also see hardware basically reinvent itself every issue for like the first five issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 clearly has an identity crisis. It's the yeah. same creators every single issue. That's right. But they don't seem to have worked out what they want the book to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I have a weird corporate fascination. Right. Yeah. No. No. Hardware. Hardware is really interesting about that, and I, I, I guess that's. I suppose that's it. Like, 
yeah, I wish I wish I could really pin it down, but like I said, there's there is something that is very um Cosby show values about about all three titles, and that's fine, but it's also very um surprising to me. And uh but again, how much of that is the era, right? Well, and that's what I'm saying. Is how, like, how much of yeah. that is that's what you kind of had to be if right. you were trying if you were trying to be quote unquote mainstream entertainment mm-hmm. produced by people of color mm-hmm. in the nineteen nineties. Mm-hmm. Well and and even I think kind of who they who those who some of those creators are. I guess it throws me off because I also feel like it was around the time that I was discovering more. I mean, that's it. It's for me, it's like 88, 89 is when I, you know, I find out about NWA and Ice Cube and gangster rap and, and just having all of that stuff kind of, um, uh, blow me away and yet how do i put it it's also it's also in its own way sort of weirdly conservative you know um mm-hmm. and so i i guess it's it's it is that realm of it's there's just there's just a bunch of stuff that i'm like i kind of I, I'm still wrapping my brain around. So I think overall, I guess it's one of those things where it's like, I think it's, I think it's great that they have, if they sort of update some of these contexts, um, because I think that there is, uh, like I said, for, for lack of a better way, I get the feeling that, you know, that there's some things tied to the way that milestone started at least from what i'm reading that that are would be very um out of sync now you know in a way that maybe it wouldn't have even been that out of sync back in say 2008 or 2010 you know so um i don't know that's my boy i got to say Congratulations, Graham, on carrying so much of this episode. I feel like I made it through. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I'm really curious for you to read this milestone book then. Yeah, um, me too. It, yeah, like I said, it's on Comixology. It's not in print, mm-hmm. weirdly, until May. Right. Um, the books actually launch in May properly. But again, the books launch digitally first. So yeah. yeah. Like, I don't fucking know like what the publishing plan is, to be honest. It doesn't make sense. I suspect, uh, although I could be wrong, that they thought that it would be a smart idea to get that preview issue out during Black History Month to get... Yeah, I mean, honestly, of... that, that there's such a, a stretch between this preview and the books coming out, mm-hmm. it does make it does feel like they're like, okay, we've literally got one more day before the end of February. Right. Um, we, we've got to fucking get it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I kind of get it, but again, this book's been around since what? When was DC Phantom? Like November mm-hmm. last year? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's this this is it's an expanded preview, sure, but they could have had this out. They could have had a version of this in print, for yes. want of a better way. Yeah, it's so strange to me. 
but (laughs) well i think i imagine what happened and i could be wrong is like you know again it was out around the time of fandom they i feel like they keep hedging their bets and and moving things around and i think that again they're sort of trying to do uh it wouldn't surprise me if the latest wrinkle was we're going to launch milestone but we're going to launch it you know as as a dc universe original title you know where it's streaming on the service for 28 days before it comes to the shops as a way to get more um coverage for it you know yeah or, or it could literally be they're like well i guess our our actual audience <laughs> our well, actual yeah. audience is is not in the comic store right and i think that's the other thing is is i think that there there's not it doesn't seem to me like a very it it would not be a hard case to make that that uh that the comic store owners are um yeah super conservative at the best of times and not always particularly interested in in supporting potentially black creator owned titles anyway so yeah it, but but i also do think that there's a lot of you know um dc's always had a real wishy-washy thing about milestone in part because you know, it was only recently, I guess, that they managed to get a lot of those rights kind of nailed down in a way that everyone was happy with, you know. But I I think it's very complicated for them to be like, well, we've got characters that, you know, we're sort of interested in, you know, kind of, but, you know, it's sort of like the Ultraverse characters. But also, we'd have to pay money to creators every time we use them and yeah the exactly because DC, you know? dc didn't own milestone it's the thing. yeah so mm-hmm. i like either dc has bought milestone which i don't mm-hmm. think they have i don't but, think they have either they, they've, they've just come to a, a long-standing licensing thing but again we saw this in 2017 mm-hmm. 2017 they were bringing back milestone and that never happened yes so you know i think i think a bunch of stuff happens i i this is me very much, you know, talking out of my ass. Mm-hmm. But the rumor at the time, and I have no idea if this is true or not, the rumor at the time was that the 2017 one was scuttled because they couldn't come to an agreement with... Uh, Dwayne McDuffie's widow? Dwayne, yeah, Dwayne McDuffie's widow. Mm-hmm. And then then I presume they have mm-hmm. some form of, form of agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... For want of a better way of putting it, you have to come to an agreement with Dwayne McDuffie's widow because Dwayne McDuffie wrote so much of Milestone. Yes, he did. Although um, I don't know, it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I, admittedly, I I'm like, you should be careful, Graham, because I swear to God, like again, this might have been around 2017, 2018 that his widow was like, no, that you know. Maybe that was the stuff that got scuttled when she stepped forward, like, hey, these people are coming forward and they just didn't, they just ignored me. They literally didn't contact yeah, me. Yeah, no, they no, just but that's just it. Like, DC announced, DC announced they were bringing back Milestone in 2017. And there right. was a bunch of, like, there was books announced. There was yeah. a new static series written and drawn by Cal Baker, supposedly. Greg Pak was doing a book. Like, wow. there was there was a number of books announced and that just fucking went away. Right. And, and the, again, 
it went away. No one ever officially said anything. Yeah. But the the rumor was Dwayne McDuffie's widow was just like, are you fucking kidding me? No, you don't get to do this. Right, right. Exactly. Which, you know, again, fair play. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully that's worked out. And then, of course, there was that whole rumor that, you know, Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan, didn't he sign on as a producer for for some some production deal for one of the Milestone characters? I have, or was that I, just a rumor? No, I honestly oh. don't know. That, yeah, that, I remember that from like a year ago or something where everybody was like, oh shit, you know, like DC, get on that and start getting these milestone characters back out there, you know, but eh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I'd like to check that out. I, I hope that they come back. Um, <laughs> I tell you what's funny. Uh, I've been reading uh, Richard Draken, Kung Fu Fighter, Coming of the Dragon, the trade that got uh, – that uh, released um, just the other week that fortunately hit Hoopla upon release. So I've, I've been, you know, saved myself twenty eight ninety nine to read a bunch of comics, some of which I read as a kid because it wasn't a comic that I had purchased. It was a comic that my younger brothers bought and then I would read. And um, I'm not all the way through it. I may, I, book ran longer than I thought. I just finished up issue 12 the other day. Um, and part of why I mention it is it's such an interesting book from a, a historical perspective, um, you know, because it introduces a whole bunch of characters that, you know, Denny O'Neill co-created and then, you know, O'Neill brings back in a way that gets, you know, sutures them into DC continuity more solidly. And I say, I say he, but I don't remember who was the, I think, it, I think the other big heavy hitter was whoever put bronze tiger in the suicide squad since John Strander. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, like I said, he definitely wrote him. I assume he, he was the one who decided to bring the character in, but whoever did, it was a, it was a genius stroke. Cause I believe the, I haven't gotten there yet, but as I recall, the, final issue or next to final issue has Richard Dragon facing off against um, Ben, who is Ben Turner? Jesus. Who's become the Bronze Dragon by that point. But of course, Lady Shiva shows up and doesn't show up until like issue four or something. But Graham, it's like some crazy ass shit for those first couple of issues art-wise because Issue two is drawn by Jim Starlin and Alan Weiss. And then issue three is just drawn by Jack Kirby. I have no idea. I thought he just did covers, but it's an entire interior issue where he's like, yep, I'm Jack Kirby and I'm doodly doodly in it. It's all kind of weirdly. It's, it's not, they're all mostly self-contained issues. They're not especially good uh, I would say, in fact, it's easier to say that it's sort of, they're bad, but it's fascinating that A, um, Denny O'Neill, if nothing else, was trying to make his team of characters, like, all be equals. Like, in theory, Ben is not the black sidekick, even though he gets sidelined uh, in, you know, two separate issues um, with injuries and then is recovering from a bullet wound forever. 
but once Lady Shiva pops up, she is definitely like they're both always presented as equal characters, even if Richard Dragon somehow manages to get to be equaler you yeah, know, exactly. than others, you know? Well, he, um, he it's his name on the book. Yeah, it's his name on the book. They feel they got to sell it to white people, uh, you know, it's it, which is kind of interesting considering how much. So it's mostly Denny O'Neill. And then there's like a two parter or maybe it's three where David Anthony Kraft comes in and writes it. And I swear to God, it is such a it's like such a master of Kung Fu ripoff at that point. Like all of a sudden for like two issues, it's all spies and people talking obliquely about deceit and, you know, half-assed poetry and like super labs. And what's it called? Um, There's like this secret project that's called Moon Age Daydream. And everyone's talking about you must know the mystery of Moon Age Daydream, Richard Dragon. You know, that sort of stuff. That's amazing. Yeah, seriously. Actually, Moon Age Daydream for real? Yeah, it's actually called Moon Age Daydream. I oh wait, or is it? Hold on, what's it called? Moon Age. I swear to God, it was so great. I swear that it's Moon Age Daydream, but that sounds like such a yes. Yep, exactly. Moon Age Daydream is the name of the operation. Yep, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. they're is... like, look, we ju- we just really like David Bowie. Okay. Well, <laughs> oh, is 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 Moon Age Daydream a Bowie song? Yes. I didn't know. I did not That's know. That's why I'm like, wait, am I wrong? I'm totally, I'm not making that up. I'm sure right? you're right. I'm sure you're right. I'm very Bowie deficient. So it, it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's on, it's on Ziggy Stardust. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, well, so anyway, yes. So David Anthony Kraft hips it up significantly in a way that still feels like a ripoff of, of, uh, Galassi and Mench's uh, Master of Kung Fu. But, okay, so, but here's the thing, Graham, and my sort of weird oblique tie-in is the very first issue of this and throughout, um, on every, at the, every stage, it says, well, except for the David Anthony Kraft stuff, it's like, you know, an adaptation. First, it starts off as an adaptation of story by Jim Dennis, based on his novel Dragon's Fists. So Jim Dennis was Denny O'Neill, but I think apparently, according to Wikipedia, Denny O'Neill and a, and a cartoonist... And someone was, else, yeah. Yeah. So it's two guys who did a novel, which more or less means, like, for all intents and purposes, they've got to own the copyright. I don't know if they ever sold the copyright or what happened you know or if everyone just ignored it but like the first again five or six issues it starts from one once it moves from adapted from this novel there's the you know characters created by jim dennis on like just about every issue and and i'm kind of like what's the right situation on you know, like, and sadly, I don't know. I'm sure it's probably buried inside a Tomorrow's magazine, you know, somewhere. I, I but... strongly suspect this is going to be one of those really sad situations where the right situation is it probably belongs to DC now because it was published in a DC comic. Right. No, but, you know but like see... it's one of those things where like they accidentally gave it up. Right. Well, I mean, 
yes. I mean, like, I think a contract somewhere that they didn't read where it was like, well, you published it and it says everything belongs to DC now. So I guess everything belongs to DC now. And they're like, well, shit. Well, I, I mean, I, I, pers- that, like, I, I doubt that Denny O'Neill ever was like, I want to do something more with this character. Well, no, I mean, I agree. On the one hand, I think you're absolutely right. I, I mean, Denny O'Neill, from what I can tell, you know, he had a spectacular second act in American comics as a DC editor. And uh-huh. I think that... Oh, DC- and creator. Like, think about right. his... his- question run right right again which part of the thing is is like question is trained by richard dragon and lady shiva you know after he gets killed in issue one it's it's a wheelchair bound richard dragon that that is his takes him on as a disciple i think in issue two or whatever but yeah no i mean it is you know writing asriel being the bat editor being being a dc senior editor um, you know, I think he was well cared for by DC and as, as a company man, I doubt that he had any sort of like, oh yeah, I should really, cause I mean, you know, what the hell is he gonna do? You know, sort of like, oh, the Suicide Squad movie, I should see some of this money or, you know, oh, you know, maybe they did give him the pretty decent deal when Lady Shiva popped up in. Uh, the Arrowverse shows. I don't know. She's got to have popped up repeatedly several places, you know, but, but it is kind of a weird thing of like, I'm like, wow, this is really a kind of ballsy, like DC's republishing this thing. And, you know, like you said, they, they own the rights, but I also kind of had that thing of like, wow, did Denny O'Neill not have like a family or for that matter, did the cartoonist who, who, co-created the novel yeah, the, not the other him. the other guy yeah the other guy who was not a dc group editor for like years you know so decades yeah i don't know man kind of kind of weird but oh so anyway so it's you know starlin and weiss jack kirby and then it's uh rick estrada inked by wally wood for for like a significant chunk of time, like four or five issues. And the thing that's kind of crazy is Rick Estrada's work on his own is great. And Wally Wood really tempers that down. Like, you know, that sort of really mellow, awesome Wally Wood inking mm-hmm. line work kind of thing. Like it looks nice, but there's a there's like two issues, maybe more, but I've only seen read to so far where it's Rick Estrada writing himself and inking his stuff. And it looks fabulous. It is such a beautiful, thick, Oh, Oh, so anyway, um, it's exactly what I, you know, cause this is going to come as a shock to the people who've been listening to this podcast for so long, but it, it's, I love, Old crappy comic books, Graham McMillan. I'm just going to come out and say it. It's a new bold take for me, and uh, and and I just I want I want more of this shit on DC Universe. You know, it's like I'm actually surprised it's not in DC Universe. I will tell you, Jeff, very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. The other part of Jim Dennis was Jim Barry, the cartoonist, who is officially the co-creator of Richard Dragon as well. Yes. Oh, good. Okay, but is he still alive? Is he is he dead? Uh, nope. 
he he died in 2015. Ah, okay. All right. So uh, yes. But also, mm-hmm. Rich Dragon was recreated. Yeah. Uh, the... He shows up in the new 52 as Ricardo mm-hmm. Diaz. And Ricardo Diaz did show up in Arrow. That's right. Co- uh, yeah, that's right. Um, and in fact, called himself Dragon, I think, uh, at one point or other in there. I read that Wikipedia entry. And Chuck Dixon also uh, recreated the character. Yeah, but like... Chuck, uh, Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Dixon did many things. That's Chuck... all I'm going to say. <laughs> well put. Chuck Dixon did many things. That is the takeaway. Should be the title of the issue of our episode, if only because that will be the only time we mention Chuck Dixon. And people Holy are going to be shit. like... Holy shit. Yes? Do you want what? to crazy? Sure. Richard Dragon is one of the stars of an upcoming Batman animated film called Batman oh. Soul of the Dragon. That's right. That's right. Right. Joanna Draper Carlson reviewed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Oh, a direct video. It's, it's not coming. It's out. Yes, exactly. Exactly. She had that's a review copy or whatever. Genuinely bonkers. Oh, so that's why. Like somebody wanted to do that movie and they're like, okay, well, we can grind up the, the tie-in volume, you know. And then, of course, now that... If DC Universe is anything like Marvel Unlimited, this will start, the issues will start popping up in like, I don't know, three we, to we six can, months on the we surface. We can, but hope. I like know, DC, right? DC Universe Infinite's release schedule is super weird. Let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's weird and it's, I don't know. I, I, I really want to support DC Universe and I got to admit, I dip my toes in and I, I definitely do more reading, but they somehow... I don't know the the in my head, Marvel uh, Unlimited is run by three crazy interns who like no one pays attention to and maybe don't aren't even fed or paid appropriately, but kind of love what they do and also are super into just just kind of sort of doing it right i guess so because you know marvel unlimited will do weird shit where it's like there's the 10 new issues that came out that were published you know three months ago in the service uh and then two or three days in not always but if you're lucky suddenly they drop five or six issues of stuff unexpectedly which sometimes is good terrible sometimes is terrible terrible you know what I mean? They're like, all of a sudden, they're like, here, have some Wolverine issues from the late 90s that sort of fill in something from some collection. Or, you know, like if we're going to delight Jeff, like, oh, here's a whole bunch of Son of Satan stuff to tie in with Hellstrom. Or to, you, you know what I've been Morbius. reading on Marvel Unlimited? You know, I've been reading Marvel Unlimited. I'm re- regretting desperately <laughs> the current Spider-Man run. Oh, Interesting. Interesting. I found myself wanting to read that and kind of... No, 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 you don't. <laughs> See, Graham, you don't even like Spider-Man. So it's sort of like... Here, here's the thing. <laughs> Maybe like, neither does issues. Nick Spencer. Well, that's kind of what I feel like. Mm-hmm. Because there, I'm trying to give a way of saying this. I don't think that... When I think of Spider-Man, when I think of what good, makes good Spider-Man, Mm-hmm. I think someone doubling down on like the supernatural and depressing aspects 
mm-hmm. is doing it wrong. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I and would agree. That's, that's basically call. what the last year of spent and expensive Spider-Man has been. Really? Yes. Mm. The Sin Eater comes back, but he's been brought back from hell. But that's right. So is Harry Osborn. Mm. And it's like, no. <laughs> do, you know what I, do you know what I don't want to read? That. And it yeah. somehow just goes on for fucking ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, it's like Nick Spencer was exposed to a radioactive copy of Craven's Last Hunt, but <laughs> didn't understand that, like, that worked because it was unusual. Right. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, right. he, he went from Craven's Last Hunt to then, you know, uh, Sin's Past, and then One More Day. And he was like, oh, now I know how to write Spider-Man comics. Ugh, <laughs> oh, that sounds grim. That sounds grim, I gotta admit. Um, you know, funnily enough, I read Marvel Action Chillers number one, um, which is fucking weird, but, but in a better way than what you just described. Because you know how... Um, you know how IDW had kind of that genius idea of doing... Uh, Vader's Castle, which was the all ages yeah, Star yeah, yeah. Wars horror title, you know? Yeah. Uh, which was kind of batshit. And I read it and I kind of loved how well it kind of did what it said on the tin. And I kind of thought that there was something really funny and clever about, oh, each issue is going to be a spooky story in the Star Wars universe that also sets up and provides this larger, you know, context for this spooky story of these, uh, these, you know, rebel adventurers trapped on Vader's planet. Marvel action chillers is in that weird, same genre of, you know, Hey, let's try and do a horror anthology of interlinking stories. Um, and it has, uh, you know, uh, Doctor Strange and Ironheart coming across, you know, a destroyed Tony Stark's lab. And they start reading the story of what happens. And it's literally, you know, a, a spooky story called, you know, Iron Man or the modern Prometheus. And I, it doesn't work nearly as well as it worked with Vader's Castle, because I think... Doctor Strange's side. I don't know. There was just something where it didn't work. But I had I have to give IDW credit, you know, in the sense of they're like, oh, we've got the Marvel license, you know, for the all ages stuff, which me and we know what all ages like and what they like are, you know, horror comics that aren't really scary, you know. Um I was kind of I was kind of impressed. Um so that's what I've been reading on Marvel Unlimited. On DC Universe Infinite, I told you last week when we were not recording that I was kind of curious to sit down and read Mark Wade's and George Perez's Brave and the Bold run from, yeah. God, whatever, 2009 or whatever it is. And is it 2009? Is it... I think it's early. 2007. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like 2007. And so I read the first six issues because I was, uh, I was me basically. But I read the first six issues, and it was uh, it was pretty interesting. 
it was it was pretty interesting in that it was um you know we didn't really talk more about the are people going to buy dc you know um the publishing rights kind of situation uh, have you heard anything like that rumor uh, is I, 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 yes. while i am unemployed i am working on looking into this for a potential story for someone and i'm not going to say anything that will basically uh <laughs> shit on the prospect of me selling a story but right. let me tell you that if i don't tell the story jeff i have stories to tell you about this yes okay well good I've heard some stuff very much second or third hand. And one of the things is, you know, because the the genius of a rumor mill is it can generate all kinds of rumors, is the, you know, somebody wants to buy DC and they're going to set up Mark Wade as editor-in-chief, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, and, and maybe that's why I basically, you know, as I was telling you, part of why I was fascinated by Brave and the Bold was this, the book flopped, despite it being Mark Wade and George Perez. And Wade at the time saying that it was, like, confusing to him that it flopped. He was sure that it was going to be his top ten book, you know. Like, the failure of that and... Uh, his return to the Flash with art by Daniel Lacuna um, made him sort of rethink everything about the comics industry in his career. Um, so I was kind of like, huh, why, so why did this fail? And it's interesting because there's a couple of things that make you be like, I don't know. I mean, as as an old school fanboy, the first six issues is like this great sort of round robin superhero story that spans across space and all kinds of heroes and and ends up literally having everything hinge on, you know, the challenges of the unknown in a great, awesome, cool way. Um, and yet I could... I put it down being like, oh, yeah, I think I understand why it flopped, you know, because it's very, it was, it's that weird thing that somehow Mark Wade can do, which is make, make something that seems like it is open and approachable to all audiences, but is actually, in fact, ridiculously insular and doesn't seem to be aware of it. You know, like he had a, it was a weird situation where it's like, he's like, oh, I can write all these characters and he writes them all well, but there's not really any sort of sense of if you don't know the characters, you don't know necessarily why you would care, you know? And even like when the challengers finally pop up, it's like, oh, hey, it's the challengers. Of course, I love challengers of the unknown, but I could see anyone being like, I like sort of a little bit of like, I understand who this origin, who these characters are because of the origin. I literally don't know why I should care. And there's a little bit of that running throughout. Like there's a whole Batman teaming up with the Legion of Superheroes where it's actually Batman versus the Legion of Superheroes. And it's a mm -hmm. very, um, it's a really good, clever snapshot of, the Legion at that time of 
sort of Batman. Which is Wade's to... Legion. Yes, exactly. So it feels really like, oh, it's right on the money. And of course, it being Wade's Legion means that it's sort of Brainiac 5's Legion um, and Batman's Legion. The weird thing about Brave and the Bold, which I like, like I liked Brave and the Bold is, I like Infinite Frontier, like what we were saying about Infinite Frontier before. Like, it's, it is, uh, you know, new reader friendly, but it's also like shockingly nostalgic and rooted in, in a very right. particular idea of the past. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good way to put it. I also think that there is something that, and this could be part of it. Like, you'd mentioned earlier that idea of, like, you know, oh, comics are fun, and, yeah, we got to go back to that stage of, like, shouldn't comics be fun? And, um, you know, I think, although I'm not entirely sure, maybe part of the problem is is that Mark Wade is not fun. Like, he's... He knows fun. Like, he can kind of fake fun. But, like, so, like, Brave and the Bold... Over the course of six issues, you literally have characters ping-pong back and forth. There's gambling planets, time travel, Lords of Luck, like the Book of Destiny has been swiped. You've got the Thanagar, Ran War. Like, it's someone who loves the DC Universe, clearly. Um, But how do I put it? Like, he never... There's such a far cry between that and Bob Haney fun. You know what I mean? Like, Bob... oh yeah, it's 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 the fun of the fanboy, and one of the things that makes Bob Haney fun is that he's not a fanboy. He's not a fanboy. He just he exactly. just recognizes how dumb this shit is. Ha! No, I, do you know what I mean? Crap. Like, like, do you not think Mark Wade can't can't accept that these things are dumb? You know, I mean, I think, I. Th- think i think what it is is that it's not that mark wade i think i think to me it's a um it's it's almost like being colorblind right like i think that bob haney could not tell the difference between what was dumb and what wasn't like, I don't think that he necessarily thought that there was stuff that was beneath him. I think no, no, no. I don't. I don't mean that at all. Of, I, I don't yeah. mean that he he thought he was superior to the material. But I think that he understood that all of it was ridiculous, and that all of it is. He, I think, Bob Haney gave everything the respect it deserved, <laughs> which is to say, sometimes, not, right? Well, right. And I, th- I think that sometimes Mark Wade is too much of a fan to realize that things are just like there is something entertaining and silly about Batman going, you know, what a sunny day. Like I Batman digs this day. Look at the chicks in their miniskirts. Right. And Mark no, Wade no, could no, no. never exactly. write that. Right. But I think that that's I think that that is I guess that's what I mean is, is that to me, it's that Bob Haney more or less takes everything at face value. And so, you know, if Batman is cool, then he is going to be cool in exactly the same thing that in the same way that everything that everyone tells Bob Haney is cool is cool. 
right? Cigarette ads, whiskey ads, you know, Playboy magazine, war movies, like Exorcist. Like, you know, it's just this undistilled version of like, well, okay, let's just have, you know, everything in there. And I think part of the problem is Wade has a certain amount of discernment. He can he, he can write comedically, you know, so there's some laughs in there that are funny. There's some shit in there that doesn't necessarily land, but it's all carefully curated in a way that does has none of the loopy charm that is the stuff that I think he's nostalgic about that, that is nostalgic based, you know, I just think that there, there's very few creators who go in to DC's stuff and are like, okay, I'm actually going to treat this as insane. I'm actually going to risk it coming off poorly to get the greater rewards that you can get by something that is so ridiculous, it moves back into the sublime, you know? And so I, I think, and I think that is really sort of, um, you know, underlined with emphasis by George Perez, whose art is so over rendered, you know, that it is, um, it is a it's a source of admiration or awe, um, but it can also be stultifying. You know, it is I, I, it is without I, I, a sense of humor. I was saying this to you last, I was saying this to you last week when we were talking mm-hmm. all and not recording about mm-hmm. Brave and the Bolt. That like Perez's art reaches a point, which I think for me is honestly his Avengers run with Kurt Music, where it becomes like weirdly um, static and 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 off-putting. Yeah, it's uh, I, I which I totally I remember you saying that, and that was kind of in my mind. But I do remember there was stuff because I was, I think I I don't know I must not have been still working in the comic book store. I think I just I think I stopped in two thousand five. But you know I was still I picked up those first couple of issues of Brave and the Bold, and I remember being like. I don't like this. This is just a slog. And it was, it's strange because I don't think that it was meant to be as such. Um, but it really was. Uh, so, so yeah, that was kind of an eye opener. You didn't make it to issue 12, right? Uh, well, not yet. I mean, the story continues. Yes. Yes. I, I do know you told me that, and the run continues. I do want to read it. I didn't even get to the end of you know Perez's run on the title. You were the one who pointed out that it continues even after he leaves. Even so, well, yeah, you but know, issue twelve is the end of the story because they're like okay. there is one plot thread going all the way through issue twelve. Oh, okay, which is great, I think. Which um, does not, but also doesn't seem the case by issue six, which feels like it wraps it up, and then. Right. And then you keep reading, basically, and you're like, oh, I guess we're still going. Right. Which I think is kind of clever and sort of makes sense since that's sort of how Wade uh, put all the pieces in there. But again, it's also just sort of, I don't know, it's 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 a slog. 
Uh, and I think that's one of the things that's kind of a shame. There's times where we come back from a break or it's like a break and a drop and it's a, it's our first wait what in a long time. And there's those times where I'm just absolutely fired up with like love of comics. Like, Oh, I've read so many good comics, Graham. I can't wait to talk to you about this and that. And, and I, I kind of like, yeah, this was, nah. <laughs> I feel very meh this episode. And I feel like Brave and the Bold was definitely kind of a, yeah, there's a reason there's, for that. Uh, well, I mean, you know, I mean, there's, I think there's some other reasons. It's not all Brave and the Bold's fault, but the Brave and the Bold did kind of strike me in a, I was reading it before someone mentioned that people were talking about like Wade is EIC at DC or whatever EIC DC. And I I was, again, this could just be an absolutely baseless rumor that they were repeating or even making up because I literally haven't gone online to check about it. But I had that moment of like, yeah, that's kind of i can see why that's what everybody would want or why a certain segment of the comic book reading population would want and i think it might be a terrible idea you know yes but um yeah there's there's again i'm not going to say anything that i've learned while Mm -hmm. while looking into this yet right because because it it genuinely may be something that i'm 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 running up for someone but Mm -hmm. There's a lot there, mm-hmm. is, is all I'm going to say. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, um, so yeah, it it was, that, that was strange. And I feel like if we had more time and space, and I had more time and space inside my head, I could maybe talk a little bit about... Because um, I, uh, I read the second issue of Superman, Imperious Lex... Um, this week, I just read it today, even though it hit the shelves on Tuesday or whatever. And, uh, it's, it's a really interesting sort of reworking of classic Silver Age Superman ideas. You know, it's set to tell stories about, um, modern America. Uh, and so I really liked it in that regard, but it also did strike me as a certain amount of like, is this going to work or is this not going to work? Like, again, part of it's like, maybe I'm just, I'm so old. I'm so right at the edge of potentially aging out of DC and Marvel overall that, you know, even when I get someone like Russell, who's like, ah, here's a silver age story, but with modern resonances and with a lot of humor, you know, and, but also with some serious stuff and with some classic silver age kind of, you know, uh, character motivation and i'm like yes everything i want but not like that either so i don't know graham i don't know i i feel i feel fussy and contrary and i feel like maybe you should replace me with like um a, a robotic dog as your podcasting co-host uh coming soon canine and company volume two <laughs> In which I team up with the uh, the popular dog from Doctor Who, and we discuss Infinite Frontier. That I can't wait. That's that's next week's episode. It's it's going to be very exciting, everyone. No, that'd be great. Um, be no, excellent. but the, the weird thing is, like, I'm feeling 
uh, like I said, like I'm feeling curiously disconnected mm-hmm. from from comics. And you know, I read issue one of of the the Imperious Lex and enjoyed it, but I haven't read issue two, mm-hmm. and I I will, mm-hmm. but I don't feel any great rush to. I and, do and, get it. I, mm-hmm. And part of that, and part of the stepping away, and part of the reading the other stuff, or just reading things that like I'm super curious about, right. is recharging my my curiosity for this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if not my yeah. love, although maybe my love as well. I don't know, mm-hmm. but but there is. It's I th- I think it's I I think stepping away is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I'm enjoying, I'm not going to really talk about it because I'd like to get a few more volumes in, but I've read four volumes of a manga that I thought was, uh, is enjoyable and I want to read more, but I can't, but is also not at that thing of like, I'm not all fired up with the, you know, I feel like part of what had been keeping me going over the last year was e- even not being especially tuned into Marvel and DC. I was reading manga shit that was just blowing my brains out my ears and at least for the last couple of weeks i was like huh yeah video games you know yeah you got video games well I, so. actually the weird thing is you know you were talking about how you were you were not really feeling it this week and i'm wondering uh-huh. did have because you had this week off you weren't working this week did That's that correct did that impact um... like did you feel uh did you feel less needs to keep up or less interest? No, I don't. I don't. That could be. I mean, I think for me, uh, you know, I had my, I set one mildly, well, two mildly unrealistic comic goals. One of which, which I told you last week, read the Brave and the Bold, uh, which I only got six issues into. In the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm so far behind on Golden Kamoi, the amazing manga that I love that I read the first four or five volumes of. And literally, I have like 10 volumes to read, which is both daunting but awesome. And I was like, oh, I should totally sit down and I'll just read my ass through those and it'll be a great, fun, big read. Especially because that's such an amazing sort of rip-roaring adventure comic. Um it may just be that, like, on Monday morning, I picked up my Switch and was like, oh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Like, what's it going to hurt, you know? And essentially have been spending a huge chunk of my time off, um, you know, when it comes to valuable fuck-off time, literally sitting there running around in this virtual world doing all sorts of awesome virtual shit that has been just really in uh 80% 90% super enjoyable 10% frustrating uh which is you know kind of the perfect mix for me anyway to make it impossible for me to put it down so i'm going to blame i'm going to blame legend of zelda more than than comic books um, and, and it probably, I mean, not that it really potentially matters much to this, um, uh, conversation probably, but, um, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, one of the things that's great about it is it's deeply immersive and, and 
the, there's a narrative in it, but it's super mild. Like it, it's, it is so easy to just spend hours wandering around in a forest and trying to, you know, hunt down your next meal or try and figure out how to hike through the mountains without disturbing the monster that there's no way that you can beat because you ran out of arrows like, you know, 45 minutes ago. All of that is, is really enjoyable, but it's also really enjoyable in a way that makes me feel like I, I feel narratively broken, you know what I mean? And I somehow, I, I wonder if it's an, an expansion of the attention span problems that I've been having between, you know, pandemic and the presidency from 2016 to 2020, um, you know, or just, I know there's stages where I go through in my life and I sometimes, I'm never quite sure how much it is used to the fact that I read huge amounts of comic books, which are, you know, narratives. Most of them are heavy on the narrative. It, you know, most of them are really heavy on a very specific subtype of narrative, which is the superhero comic. But, you know, even if you expand out to comics, there's very few of them that really have nothing going on. You know what I mean? And I find myself um, needing more of that in my life these days, which makes it a little hard to turn around and talk in a, you know, with you about comics in a way, because I'm like, yeah, I'm just not, I'm just not there at this particular point, you know? So, yeah, I don't know, you know? So, um, I feel like if we, if it wasn't for the fact that we were already two hours in and should probably close this down, I, part of me is like wanting to talk about, and maybe I'll revisit this if I'm still feeling the same next week, if we're doing another wait, what maybe talking about the way in which it's possible the comic book narratives aren't really, particularly when you talk about superhero comic books, not really narratives either, you know, um, that, that most of the most, most of the most successful comic genres are literally genres. Like I know that you, um, we talked, I feel like very briefly about that issue of Patsy Walker that they threw on Marvel unlimited with the, with the world's most hastily slapdash, um, new cover. But that issue of, um, my love, my love issue 20 was so amazing to me because, you know, the stories were so nothing burger, but gorgeous to look at with, I mean, I'm sure every issue of my love didn't have a John Romita, you know, lead story and a Gene Colan backup story, but holy smokes, or I'm sure most of them had this like Jack Abel looking like, you know, drawing like Herb Trimpey after heavy brain damage or whatever. But it's just, like, I was like, oh, these aren't, these are, it was so much easier for me to, like, look at these love stories and be like, wow, these politics are kind of repugnant, but man, look at how lovely the drawings are, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's, but that's the that, kind that of was... great thing about old romance comics, right? right and it is, exactly. like, there is something, 
there's something to, and you know, you're right, we should close this end, but there's something to the idea that we can step into these smaller, more um, closed off narratives mm-hmm. that aren't, that don't have the same level of nostalgia or whatever our emotional connections are to them. Right. And, and get a, a, maybe not a greater enjoyment, but a different enjoyment. And honestly, in a weird way, like a purer enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Right. Then we do like these other things that we have more, in theory, emotional investment to. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. For for whatever reason. Yeah. So it was, but well, or or essentially, yeah, that because of our emotional investment in them, or whatever investment that we have, we have mistakenly told ourselves that we are reading stories when we're not or something i don't know it's it's something it's something we can talk about next week graham mcmillan um because i believe we are doing another wait what podcast yeah we should be doing another wait what podcast next week so i think that would be a a, a perfect time to talk about it let's revisit yes. let's yes let's go and do this again because i i think i think there is something there i don't know what the something is but you and i have both talked uh honestly like it, during during the last holy shit year of lockdown um, yes. about finding ourselves distanced from and then coming back to and then confused by <laughs> what theoretically should be comfort reading mhm mm-hmm. you know so there's 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 something there i just don't know what that something is mhm mhm yeah i i I agree. Um, yeah, let's 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 see. Maybe maybe we will. Maybe we'll just wait. Like something's going to happen. Time. Something's going to happen next week, and we're going to be like, "Oh, you know, fuck that." We're going to talk about the fact that you know, that Mark Marvel bought named... DC. Yeah, exactly. Mark <laughs> Wade has been named the EIC of DC. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm I'm pivoting off this to say, hey, we're going to have show notes for this up on Wait Podcast uh, when this episode is live because Jeff is much more organized than I am. Uh, at some point in your life, maybe not my life, there are going to be more posts on waitwhatpod.tumblr.com and instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. There is a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast at... Sorry, I was going to spell wait what podcast for a second. You all can do yes. that. Uh, Jeff is at Lazy Bastard, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D, and I'm at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And Jeff, you should just like take over now and talk about the Patreon because that's what you do so well. Well, it's what I do. I will definitely not argue with that. So part. well. Uh, <laughs> everyone, thank you. Um, I feel like there are times when I don't uh, manage to live up to my obligations for this podcast, which is to show up and be able to either talk um, enthusiastically and or co- coherently. I'm I'm I I would assume that most of you are used to one or the other, uh, you know, and or you know, there's the wonderful and talented Graham McMillan who is manages to be both lucid and informative and charming <laughs> oh oh if only anyway I, thank you i shall but we managed to to keep doing this in part because of uh the support of you 
listening to us now and listening to our previous episodes um, and dropping us little notes on the comments threads, uh, pointing out some very smart, sensible things uh, in the comments, in the show notes, in uh, tweeting at us. And also the fine people of uh, Patreon, who are listeners who also throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh to in to literally kind of keep us uh, on track and inspired. Um, thanks to Patreon and the stretch goals. As you uh, know, if you've listened to us before, uh, we did Baxter Building, which was a separate podcast reading through the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four. And we are currently in the process of doing Drock, uh, our read-through of Judge Dredd, the complete case files, which I, I have to say is is quite, quite an ongoing project. Um, so thank you for that. And uh, we want to give special thanks, of course, to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, uh, for her continuing support of this podcast and in her role as galactic uh, defender, protector of uh, this neck of the celestial realm. I have to say, I was reading a little piece about what might happen to the Voyager 2 discs as they continue to move through space that I have to say... I hope uh, I hope Empress Audrey is uh, is keeping her paw of protection over uh, those Voyager two discs so that they can continue to travel through space even after the Milky Way collides with the Andromeda Galaxy uh, sometime in the not so near future. So, Graham, that's uh, now I want to read that piece as much as anything else. I'm like, wait, wait. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have to look into this now. Um, we are going to be doing another podcast in a week, and we may be returning to our existential crisis, or we may be talking about Infinite Frontier, which Jeff might have read, or the Milestone thing, which Jeff might have read, or who knows what the two of us are going to be reading in the next week. Uh, I, I have nothing to say beyond I'm very excited to do that. And also, if there's something that you people think that we really should be reading, leave something in the comments. Because oh, nice. I feel... I feel like, Jeff, both you and I are curious to read new stuff, but don't always necessarily know what that is. So, you know, tell us, people. I'd be genuinely curious to see what you guys will suggest. Um, Otherwise, we're going to be back in a week. And so, until then, I will say bye!